I will talk to you a lot. Yes. For there is nothing else. Are you all ready to talk to you today about cryptography? Come along quietly or not. You can have all the talent in the world and never get anywhere. Love the artist. Let you fight upon it. And now, without further ado, Hello, folks. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. I'm going to keep this little introduction short because we got a big episode ahead. Um, in this episode, I sit down with former actress and stand up comedian Ella Steinbeck, who is now battling Lyme's disease and EDS. This episode is a heavy one. Her and I both try to keep it as light as we can, but. Um, Chronic illness really is no joke. In the summer of last year, I went through a very miniature bout with Lyme as compared to Ella, and we cover that a little bit as well, sort of comparing notes and experiences. Before we get into the episode, I just want to remind everybody, there's a new Patreon account. You could support this podcast there. If you go on Patreon and look up Albert Shivers Artist. Also, I'm going to be having um, a new show coming up in January. Um, I was invited to take part in an erotic art show. I'm going to be working on some filth um, for the next month and a half, just in time for the holidays. And that show will be happening in January, and I'll fill everybody in as it gets closer. Also, please don't forget to subscribe to the... Albert Shivers, I keep dropping my phone, Albert Shivers YouTube channel. Um, You can get all the podcasts end up there. I'm going to be posting video content from the last podcast with Don Wilson. Um, While we were there, Isaac and I filmed a good bit. So right now we're editing that footage together in a nice little chunk that's palatable for folks. And that'll be going up on the Albert Shivers YouTube channel. So please subscribe. Every subscriber helps myself out as well as all the artists and interviewees that were on the podcast and everybody who works on things um, in terms of filming and editing. So if you're watching this or listening to this on YouTube now, hit the subscribe button just for a second. And um, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, hop over to uh, yeah, hop over to YouTube, hit subscribe. Um, we'd all really appreciate it. Also, I'm going to be working on getting this podcast on Spotify. So that'll be cool. That should be happening soon. And that's about it. Let's get to the interview with L.S. Steinbeck. Okay, folks, this is Albert Shivers, and this is another episode of Planet Shivers. I'm here on location again in New York City with actress, comedian, and unfortunately, Lyme's disease sufferer, and help me with the other one. Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And that one, <laughs> not to be, like, no disrespect, <laughs> but I didn't want to screw okay. up. Um, and we're going to talk about all that, so Ella, thanks for doing the show, and welcome. Thank you. So... I guess we'll, we'll first jump into your acting stuff. Um, you were in two films of mine mm-hmm. in season where you played the expert on incest. 
which was fun. <laughs> and um, those scenes, like everybody, I love how like the head scratcher of those scenes when I've shown that film, like who would be an expert in this? But you were. <laughs> an expert in incest. What do, you, what do you know, right? You know, you don't pick the roles, the roles pick you. Right. I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> but it, it, worked, it worked out. Yeah, um, it did. And you end up being... It was a lot. You. Yeah. That, I do that was a heavy... Uh, yeah. A lot of heavy dialogue. Yeah. I, and I didn't Very feel good about it. <laughs> but all that was real research. And yeah. That was the crazy thing about that film is what I basically did was got bits from different doctors and just mushed them together, changed the wording... So it was totally a ripoff, right? And um, then handed you this lump of dialogue, but yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> but you did well. <laughs> like you know, we got through it and it worked. We tricked people. They thought I was oh, really yeah. a psychologist they about did. incest. Oh, you know, I, <laughs> one festival people thought it was an actual documentary, and the thing wow. was, I'm sitting there, and right, I'm in the so movie. They think you. So like. That was the thing that baffled me. I was like, I'm sitting here, like you know, I'm the director of this movie, and I'm in it. So like, but they did like people, like two or three people, like so like, where are they now? Like, what's where are on? they? They didn't even see you as right. that person. Yeah, and I didn't look much different. Right. Really, like I know I shaved for the movie, but I don't know. Like it should be more. That's really, that's how unobservant, I guess, people are. But it's interesting. At least they didn't come up to you and go, so did you and your sister break up? Right. Well, in the end of the movie, <laughs> we do. Um, and it's like, the movie ends on a real downer. Because um, I end up breaking up with my sister, and then she's just left alone, brewing. Okay. Um, by the end of the movie. So you, have, you haven't seen it finished. And you know what? Now that you're saying I that, bad. I think I did see it finished. Okay. Because now that you said that, I'm like, oh, it, Somehow I knew you broke up, so okay. I must have seen it. Because okay. as soon as you said that, I was like, "Oh, that's right." I also feel but like maybe your we character, your character, I think, has a comment on the breakup too. That may be. I think so. I think I did see it. Okay. I know okay. I'm being very vague right now, no, but fine. but I remember watching the clip. I must have seen the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I may have sent I it to it. you or something. I know it, I didn't. Yeah, post you sent it me a link. Okay. Yes. So it might have been up for a little bit. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, I did but, see it. That's right. You did break up with your sister. Yeah. It was <laughs> tough, but... Do you guys yeah. never got back together? We never got back together. No, it's, it, it's a shame. We're all talking again for the first time. So that's good. And uh, but hopefully she's still able to move on. Yes. You know, it's a big apartment to be in alone. That's right. But yeah. Um, and you were also in my film directly after that, The Healer. Which was about um, an artist, a young female artist, just trying to figure it out. And um, you gave the good news, like I you did. were the you were the relief of that film. Yeah, she made it into it was the festival. Yeah, it was like a jazz festival. Yeah, yeah. which was it was so like writing it. I was like, this is so me. <laughs> and everyone's gonna know that this girl is me. Like her name was Alice. So it was like. Totally like unbashful, <laughs> writing myself into it, but it was. Cool. You picked a girl to play you. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. That's very open-minded. Yeah, well, I I wanted like this the actress who played Alice. I knew her from the college by me, and she wanted to be in something, and I wanted to work with you again. I wanted to work with another actress, Irma, again. 
um, who played Alice's older sister. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. You know, because honestly, why can't a woman play a man, a man play a woman? We're just like beings. So I think that's right. really, actually, I think that's awesome. No, thank you. It was fun. But yeah, you played the, the yeah, well, person for like a jazz festival that she won this contest to her art be used on a poster. Right. And you delivered that news and then you interviewed her. Mm-hmm. And on those interviews ended up being cut from the final movie. Um which is on YouTube for people to all go see. <laughs> it's free and it's just... It's very cool. Yeah. And I always appreciated you using me again, so... Oh, yeah. Thank yeah. you. And you were also in, um, was it Vinyl? Yeah, I was in Vinyl okay. as a prostitute. Okay. Yeah. yeah um, in the back of a plane drinking and uh, doing cocaine where uh, they used one line and you can barely make it out when you watch it. And... Uh. Uh, I think I said, what did I say? I said, uh, I don't know. Because there's a girl going on and on about, uh, about, who's the Russian? Um, ah, Chekhov. She's going on about Chekhov, which I honestly have no idea about. So as she's okay. rambling about it, I say, I don't know. And uh, you can barely make that out on the actual show. But I did, I had a line. Yeah. <laughs> they no. used one line. <laughs> and you also did a film, I remember while we were working on in season you did a film called common alligator yes and that was more of a full length kind of thing that mm -hmm. actually got cut down i think to a half hour uh, originally it was like a 90 minute length. and then i don't i don't know what happened to that but that was actually a very cool role and it took us a long time to make it so you really got into character and you know right it was actually kind of awesome Cool. And that end up in festivals or anything? You know, I don't know what she ended up doing with it. You know, film projects are weird because you're really at the mercy. The director, producer is really at the mercy of the actors, right? And the actors are at the mercy right. of the other. And neither one can do anything without right. the other. You know, without one or the other, it's all nothing. So, um, I don't know. She just kind of dropped out of existence. You just right. quit hearing from her and then... Uh, I, you know, we kind of found that something had posted about it and then we saw the link and it was more like a half hour and instead of the movie that she was supposed to make, I don't, I don't even know. I don't know what happened to her. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I do, I remember hearing about that mm -hmm. when you talk about it in between because when we filmed in season, I think we did that in like one shot, one day. Right. I came by. Yes. And, um. We just had to change clothes. Yeah. Like, oh, it's a different day, and she's inside now. All right, and then we were on the patio. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There was a lot of sound editing. That was a poor choice on my part, mm. because the the um, city sounds, I was like, uh. So I learned a lot about sound editing, <laughs> and just to get your voice up, and like beeps and honks, and like just noise down. Ugh, New York. But it worked out. Like, it's it sounded fine, and I did, like I said, kind of like... Learning just by being thrown into it. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the best way to learn, right? Yeah. True. And um, you also do stand-up comedy, which I was very interested in when I, we first started mm -hmm. talking. Um, are you still involved in that or not so much? So, you know, uh, stand-up comedy was one of those things. Okay, so about 13 years ago, I was in a lot of pain. Um, I was living in uh, Las Vegas. I was a successful hairstylist. We were trying to... <clears throat> figure out why I was hurting, took some time off work, 
uh, for physical therapy and never got released from physical therapy. At the same time, um, uh, got married and moved to New York. Mm -hmm. I was told, you got to go see this rheumatologist. Maybe he can help you. He diagnosed me with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, said you can't mm -hmm. work. Uh, you can't work out. And don't do any stretching. Just take care of your body kind of thing. Right. So I was really um, feeling crazed because I had no creative outlet. Right, I've been this physical, uh, you know, I've been creating things, and, right. you know, I really have a love for, you know, fashion and, and, you know, style of any sort. So, how long were you a hairdresser in Vegas for? Like, um, seven years. Okay. But, so what happened was, uh, I lived right near um, uh, a comic strip. So, they had this little thing that said, you know, like, comedy writing classes. And I'm like, well, I've always liked writing. Maybe I'll go do that just so I had something, some right. kind of outlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I started taking the classes, and then uh, the person who taught it, he did not recommend open mics or anything. Okay. So it's like you take this class, you learn how to write a joke, and then you just go sit at home. And I was <laughs> like, well, that's not cool. So I went and took another comedy writing class, right, right. with a, a well-known stand-up comic. And um, I was really digging it, and I was meeting women who were doing open mics. And okay. I was like, oh! Well, I enjoy this writing thing, mm -hmm. but it just sits in my computer. So I guess the only way people can hear it is if I go tell it to them. Right. So, and then I started doing open mics and then eventually I was, you know, you know, doing open mics two or three a night, you know, five times a week. I would try to take weekends off unless I was getting paid and I was producing a show um, up in Rockland County at the turning point. Um, and... Uh, you know, just opportunities start happening or lack of opportunities in some, in some regard. But yeah, so I did that for, you know, off and on for about seven years. Then uh, a couple years ago, I started to get uh, really more sick and it was hurting me a lot, which this was coming and going, but it was hurting for me to get on my laptop because my wrist hurt a lot. Also, a lot of the comedy clubs, you have to go downstairs. Uh -huh. My hip was hurting me really badly. I could not make the walk downstairs and um, I just kind of dropped out I you know right. I it wasn't really um, I didn't know that that's what was going to happen right um, but I have not been able to get myself back into comedy so here's the thing with stand-up comedy that people don't realize a lot of the comedy you see are privately produced shows um, so you're not actually hired by the club necessarily okay that's what people I don't think under Right. Most people don't understand how that really works. Also, what people don't know is a lot of times you're not getting paid, or if you right. are getting paid, you're getting like $20, $25 a spot. So yeah. these top comedians, um, I mean, you can name any of them, but you know they'll hit as many clubs as they can in a night, all getting about 25 bucks per spot. So right. you've got to hop around quite a bit to make a living. Yeah. And the most money you're going to make is working for a, um, you know event or, uh, you know, produce show where you're right. the headliner or, right. you know, other type of talent. Yeah, I was just listening to a thing with um, Judah Friedlander, mm -hmm. and he talked about that exact same thing. And then, you know, that going on the road ends up being more lucrative yes. than staying in the city. Totally, yes. You yeah. can, if you go on the road, I mean, they say you can basically make six figures a year, but again, you're living in a car, right. or, you know, or if you decide to take a plane, you're paying for your plane ticket. Exactly. The only thing you're paid is for your performance. 
and they will give you like a comedy condo or, or a hotel room, but it's usually not very nice. And, you know, I mean, it's, look, it's a rough life. Um, yeah. As far as stand-up comedy goes, I mean, you know, it's a solo sport. There's not a lot of uh, uh, team effort. Uh, right. You know, people are either not liking you because you have a better joke than them, or you know, look, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of addiction, mental illness that yeah. goes on in stand-up comedy. Um, so it's hard because you're really alone out there. And you know, I'm sure this isn't great thing to have to say but it can be very parasitic right because people want to hear what was good about them right. or, or whatever it's all about them so they'll talk to you but they're really robbing you because they just want to hear about themselves and right. so there's not a lot of back and forth which is, is very alienating okay. um, you know there's a reason uh, there's a lot of suicide in stand-up comedy right you know because it is it's very very lonely and you're constantly in your own head you know, it's not like right. playing in a band, right? right? And you're like, yeah. hey guys, check out this bad audience. No, that bad audience you are internalizing. Yeah, you, exactly. It is all my fault. Yeah. And then you just loop all day about your jokes. Is that the right word? Or how could I tweak it? And I mean, it can be crazy making. No, yeah, I, could, I could imagine. Yeah. yeah. So that is the, there's definitely a dark side of comedy. People do not talk about it enough. Uh, they think, oh, it's comedy. It's fun. And let me just tell you, people who've done it for any length of time, it stops being fun maybe if you're Jerry Seinfeld he's a very lighthearted person but for a lot of people there's <laughs> yeah. a real darkness involved in doing it you know and also being self-deprecating um it just feeds that I'm kind of I'm shitty uh and uh I'm telling you know jokes about myself being shitty it's kind right. of hard you know if you keep telling yourself you're you know not great you know how do you how does your mind fight that right you're right. constantly you know, um, yeah. uh, reinforcing a negative self-talk instead of a positive self-talk, which can mm -hmm. be very, I mean, if you're already prone to depression or anxiety, it can be very, very heavy to carry right. around, you know, so, I don't believe it. yeah, so there is a lot of, a lot of that, you know, it, comedy was hard, I, I had a very love-hate relationship with it, because I do love the writing, but the performing, um, first of all, I don't have that, um, that thing where I need to be on stage and like I love people clapping. Right. Like to me, I was like, okay, I told my jokes, they left, I'm good. Right. <laughs> uh, I don't need to do this ten more times tonight, which a lot of people do. It's like a yeah. sickness. It's a it's a drug, yeah. right? Um, I do not have that. Uh, so um, you know, it's and it's different for everyone, but. There's a lot of comics who do not like comedy, and I have to say, I kind of started to get to that point. It was like, if I never hear anything funny again, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, I could not watch comedies on TV. I could not watch other people's stand-up comedy. Uh, okay. It really got, like, to a really kind of dark place. And yeah. not that I didn't appreciate brilliant comics. I, right. I do, and I, I still do. It's just, I wasn't interested. Right. It was kind of like um, people would say, hey, you want to go watch comedy? I'm like, no, I work at the tire factory. On my days off, I do not want to watch right. tires being made. Right, so, exactly. So that's kind of how comedy got for me, which seems mm -hmm. crazy to people who, who aren't right. in it. Right. And they don't understand. Oh, it's fun. It's comedy. It's laughing. It's yeah, like, no, it's total. It's like in the little tiny comparison, the little minute times that I've done it, um... It's totally different when you're alone. You know, I think, like, I play a little bit of music, and I've played music in front of people, and I've tried to do comedy in front of people, 
and that instrument is like your buddy yeah who's there for you and you don't even realize that until you're up there without it without anything without anything yeah and um so yeah i could i can get that mm -hmm. you know I, I did open mics at comedy places in philly okay and um i then was like i'm gonna try not to do it and they were fine like there was they weren't great they weren't bad they were just mediocre and i'm like cool I'm going to try to go somewhere where it's not just comedy. And I followed a nine-year-old girl who sang all about that bass. Wow. You can't compete with that. And it's like, you I should just... You can't compete with that. Go kill there. yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> I should... I like, you should just leave. Just leave. Yeah. Just leave right now. Yeah, you can't follow Because that. the story of my mother finding the, the Tyra Banks magazine in my bed and under my mattress... <laughs> Isn't gonna beat that girl. No, it's just not gonna do it. You cannot beat that. No one's gonna care. No. But I went up there and, um, like, my method, which I picked up just from hearing other people talk about it, is to not like literally fixate, but to concentrate on the people who are enjoying you, Absolutely. and just try to ignore the other people. So I remember there were these two like heavy set women right in the front, who for whatever reason found me fucking hilarious. So I was like, okay, good. I'll just kind of yeah. direct my energy to them and ignore like the big weird biker dudes who are done with me before mm -hmm. I even got up there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, you know, the other, you know, the thing about comic is there's nothing worse than a comic or any performer, honestly, in a live area is paying more attention to the people they're getting you know, negative feedback from than the ones right, where they're like, right. let me tell them off. No, don't ruin the show for the rest of the people who are enjoying right. you. Just right. ignore them. <laughs> right. That is one of my biggest pet peeves. Um, but you know, there's also a lot of sexism in comedy. Oh, and as a woman, you get up on stage, you're already fighting, right? Because they're like, oh, who's this girl? Right. She's not gonna be funny, she's a girl. And then, um, you know, it's it, it all, it, it's, it's like this, crazy thing so it's as a woman especially you're fighting although guys would say you know the, the comedy market's flooded with guys right how do they stand out you know mm -hmm. but it's still it's a it's a man's world i've seen it become like especially like hmm, how do i put it like the attractiveness of the woman becomes which is meaningless if she you know you're funny you're funny Ugh. one thing has very little to do with the other mm -hmm. but when you're just judging by the looks of someone, it will totally affect the way the audience takes well, you. Well, let me just tell you. So this is the feedback you get as uh, a female um, is uh, if you're attractive, um, if, if a girl's on a date with a guy, right. she's worried that he's going to find you attractive, right? Okay. And he's only thinking of you in a, in a sexual way, right? I, I, apparently... Uh, this is the feedback you're told from club owners okay. um, that men cannot differentiate, right, <laughs> between being able to listen to a woman and being able to visualize her in bed, right? Uh, men, we, okay. you're not capable of it. I, okay. I don't know if anyone told you. I, you you can't know, do it. It's good we're recording yes. this so I know. Yes, you should record. know this. Okay. And if you're on a date with a woman, she is so insecure with herself that she cannot see another female on stage and think that you might think she's funny. It's not possible. She can't do that. And that, wow. that is how uh, comedy has been tailored to audiences. Wow, okay. If, if you are attractive, no one's going to listen to you, and women are going to hate you. And I have been told that 
by more than one person. Wow. Yes. Jeez. So, and I'm like, really? Because I tend to think that men probably can figure out they can listen to a woman and not just visualize her in bed. Right. And, yeah. then, uh, and then I do not think women are so insecure that they, they feel immediately competitive with anyone in front of them. Because that's basically what they're saying. It's mm-hmm. like, it's so disgusting yeah. that, that that is what they have decided uh, is an audience. Um, because, you know, guys can listen to music and go to a concert. I mean, right. yeah. a woman can sing in front of you and your girlfriend doesn't get mad, right? Right. And you're able to maybe not sexualize her. I don't know. Maybe music is different. But uh, to me, that we're really selling people short. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, that's like, yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, I, there's like that part of me like, okay... Maybe, but really, you know. Exactly. Like, yeah. And we are only perpetuating that if that's how we are right. pandering to an audience, right? It, was, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. And if that's how it's been, why would we continue to do that for one more day or one more second? Right. You know, if you were a club owner, you'd be like, bring on the foxy chicks. I don't care. Let's hope men can hear them. Right. I don't know. Like, give it a shot. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Let's give everyone a shot. Equal shot. And let's hope people can hear them. I don't know. It's really... It was very disheartening. So, in your time doing it, did you also find that there was a difference in, um, like, in terms of hecklers? Were there more for the females or men, or was that about equal? Um, you know, it's probably equal. Um, yeah, it's pretty equal. I mean, there's some horror stories out there. I can't say... I mean... You know, I've had a couple that, you know, you do have to <clears throat> really shut down because they're sitting right in front and they're drunk and they're, yeah. you know, misogynistic and they're saying really nasty, rude things. Right. Um, you know, you do deal with those. I do, I know a comic who's had like, you know, a beer bottle thrown at her head. Um, you know, I mean, it's a, you're vulnerable yeah, oh when yeah. you're up there and security in comedy clubs is usually not great, if any. Okay. So, uh, you know, you're taking your life in your hands for, for what, you know, for, to tell a joke. I don't know, you know, yeah. between the time it takes to write a good joke and really make it great. And, uh, <laughs> the, the risk you're taking with your own, uh, uh safety, right. you, you start to think, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. And the thing is like the, the, the extra difference is like, if you're a musician, you could sit home and play the trumpet eight hours a day and be a great trumpeter. Yeah. And Without ne- feedback never, from an audience. Like, yes, never absolutely. have to leave your house. Yeah. As funny as I might think I am at home by myself, believe me, totally different when, oh, yeah, no. when I, people see it. I, I crack myself up constantly at yeah. home. It's a weird, weird thing, stand-up comedy. And until you've actually done it and immersed yourself in it, you really can't understand it because I certainly yeah. didn't before. And you know, I mean, I did festival. I did like, you know, the Women in Comedy Festival, which you feel like, oh, that's going to be supportive. It's other women. But even then, I mean, yes, you feel supported, but there really isn't much community. And of course, okay, there's exceptions to this. And people are going to be like, but this, I did this, and there's this and this group, and these people had this experience. Yes, everyone has a different experience. Generally speaking, there's not a lot of support even from your own sex. What guys have a different camaraderie, it seems, regularly. You know, they, yes, they're competitive with each other. They say, and they're a little more accepting of each other. Whereas women, we feel, you know, I don't know, more 
competitive because I think we are given less opportunities. So it is, it feels more cutthroat. Right. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Because the, the, we, there are so few for us. So it's a, um, it's almost like a systemic uh, treatment, right? We've like, we've created this reality for women that they have to fight so much for the few opportunities that we can't even be friendly with each other because right. you might take something from me. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, look, this is a very deep psychological conversation. Right. I'm right. sure that we require a real professional. But <laughs> look, there's comedy is not just comedy. Right. <laughs> I can tell you that. Right. Yeah. So it was the pain you started to experience that took you away from continuing to pursue that. Mm -hmm. um, so now at that time, was it just the original diagnosis that was getting worse or was elements of Lyme starting to creep in? I have no idea. I, you know, we're not really clear on what happened when. I just know 13 years ago, my body felt like it was on fire. I had to quit doing hair. I didn't know it was going to be permanent. I thought they were going to fix me. Um, and so my feeling is I probably had some kind of Lyme uh, disease at that time or Bartonella or, you know, some kind of uh, uh, bug-borne uh, illness. Mm -hmm. that was not uh, um, investigated at all. Um, instead, I saw a rheumatologist who said, you have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, he closed the book and was like, that's why you're in pain. End of story. And so for you know, the last 10, 11 years after I got that diagnosis, um, you know, I didn't get better. Uh, I was just trying not to aggravate things to make it worse. Right. Um, like I said, my hands were coming and going, but that was one of the biggest red flags for me was when I was doing hair, um, you know, my hands and wrists were hurting so bad, but it hurt to hold my phone or to text and iPhones had just come out. So right. <laughs> it was very exciting to yeah. handle an iPhone. You couldn't even do it. Right. Couldn't do it. So, uh, so that, and like I said, though, that, came and went, right? I'm having wrist problems and I'm a little better. I'm having wrist problems a little better. But, but the all over chronic, like widespread joint and muscle pain was just constant. It would get worse and better. I'd have hip flexor problems. I'd have to walk backwards for a while because it hurt to walk forwards. Like it's kind of, yeah, it was like nutty, right? And then uh, last year I went to go see someone for some, um, for pain for ketamine infusions. Um, they're very intense. They put you out asleep. Um, it takes about six to eight hours. Uh, and while I'm there, he said, have you had a Lyme test? I'm like, look, I don't have Lyme. I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, this is why I have all these symptoms. And he goes, yeah, but those look just like Lyme. You know, and his wife had had shoulder surgery that they're pretty sure was unnecessary shoulder surgery because it was actually, she had actual positive Lyme test, but they couldn't get a positive test so no one was treating her for Lyme disease mm -hmm. and they didn't know um, till after the surgery that she actually had Lyme and they're both doctors so he's telling me this he has a little bit of credibility because him and his wife are both doctors so mm -hmm. I'm like well I'll ask my doctor to run this Lyme test you think I have and uh, my doctor uh, he runs it but he's even saying you don't have Lyme and I'm like I know that's what I said but you know let's just run the test and normally, you, they run an ELISA AB on it, and if that's negative, they don't continue to investigate. But the thing about an ELISA AB is that that is only uh, for an immediate infection, right? So if it's old, a year, two years, it's not going to show up on that anyway. So right. they're not going to run Western blot mm -hmm. regardless. 
But for some reason, mine slipped through. The ELISA came up negative. They still ran the Western blot. We don't know why, mm -hmm. but it was blazing positive from LabCorp. You know, all CDC reporting uh, uh, standards, you know. So I had, clearly, I had Lyme disease. Yeah. So how long have I had that? Right. My guess is at least 13 years when I first felt like I was on fire. Wow, okay. So... And that's what we're dealing with. So now, uh, this, this is going to sound like a silly question, but this, for the sake of the interview, I'll ask it. Um, those 13 years ago, did you notice any any of the rings, any bites or anything like that? No. Okay. No bite. Ne neither did I. Yeah. Most people don't know they had a bite. And, and anyone who's ever been around a horsefly, a spider, a tick, a mosquito, lice... Uh, anything that can bite an animal and a human can make you sick. Um, a tick does not have to be on for any certain amount of time. That bacteria can be transmitted in minutes, right. not hours. You know, if it is Lyme. But, you know, the thing about, uh, you know, bug-borne illness is it's a lot of bugs. You know, Lyme is a small part of that. But there's a lot of bugs that can make you sick with all kinds of different illnesses. And what's most prominent in our environment it's bugs. Bugs are everywhere. Way mm. more common that you would have a bug bacteria than you would have rheumatoid arthritis. Way more common you would have some kind of bug bacteria than you would have, you know, MS, right. lupus. You know, I mean, like, it just goes on and on and on. Like, why aren't we looking there first? That's outrageous to me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Man. <laughs> so, I'm just digesting all this. Yeah. So, you get diagnosed finally with Lyme. Mm-hmm. And... It's very possible you may have had it for 13 years. Mm -hmm. where, where did you go from there? Um, oh, well, so I got that diagnosis. I was referred to a guy uh, who was an infectious disease doctor at um, uh, I don't know, Mount Sinai. You know, one of these hospitals here in New York. Right. Go see him. He says, uh, well, first of all, I, well, let me just back up. Sure. So I get the diagnosis. I'm looking at this lab report. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know what all this is. And, you know, they always make Lyme sound like this wacky thing. Mm -hmm. Like, is it wacky? I don't know. I don't know anything about Lyme disease. So I get online and I start looking at uh, uh, what constitutes a positive Lyme test. And what I'm seeing in about five minutes of a Google search that I'm not sure why doctors haven't done the same thing, um, is that there's this thing called um, uh, CDC positive, right? Do right. you have a CDC positive Lyme test? People have confused this into thinking that the reportable bands required by the CDC for reporting purposes are the same as diagnostics. They are not. They are only reporting standards. That's okay. it. They have nothing to do with whether you are sick. Somehow, doctors have misplaced this information mm -hmm. and decided that CDC reporting is the same as CDC saying that you're sick, not the same thing. So I uh, have a lot of people, and I have sent that uh, the CDC website finally updated this, but it shouldn't take me to email my doctors and go, hey, the CDC was wrong, but like I'm like, duh, because I Googled it. I could mm -hmm. tell with these five CDC positive bands that you need to have to be CDC positive are completely random. I don't know why they picked these five. Um, 
There's no information on that. And I can see that that's like a baloney thing. So I started looking at different countries, right? How do other countries diagnose Lyme disease? And you have a country like China who will, um, who will treat one band of Lyme. Where you go to a doctor here, oh, you have only one band, you're not sick. No, one band can mean you're sick. Are you symptomatic? If you're symptomatic, that's when you treat. It doesn't even have to be a positive Lyme test. Are they symptomatic? Because Lyme tests are so notoriously bad, unless you go to an expensive lab who knows how to run a really good, consistent, uh, you know, repeatable results. You know, most of these places can't repeat the same diagnostic. Right. Um, so are you sick? That's when they should treat. You know, and then I figured that out like in a Google search and then it made me furious that my doctors hadn't done that. Why, why would my Google search be better than your medical degree? And I, you know, they always say that. You, you always see those like doctor things. It's like, don't confuse your Google search with my, you know, being a doctor. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know what? Maybe you should try the Google. Yeah. Because... <laughs> exactly. So now, does um, the fact that you were ill before how does that affect the Lyme? Like, did it make it more intense? Okay, so it's confusing because we don't know exactly okay. why, you know, because Lyme and EDS, fibromyalgia, MS, lupus, seizures, heart problems, right? They all look the same, right? Are they by themselves or is it a mimicker? You know, Lyme is, they call it, you know, it mimics all these illnesses, so it's hard to piece apart. So that's what I'm hoping to do after I went, okay, yeah, I went to the doctor who I thought was on top of things. He gave me the doxycycline. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I realized he was not the doctor for me when he told me that ovaries don't cause pain. I was having a lot of ovarian pain in my lower abdomen, but I'd also had endometriosis, so I, I knew that. This is really sound like a doctory thing to say though. Yes, he said ovaries don't cause, cause pain. That is a fantasy. And I was like, check please. <laughs> right. I am out of here. And it turned out I had a hemorrhagic cyst uh, ovarian uh, hemorrhagic cyst, which lasted six months, which is why I was in so much pain. But mm -hmm. for my ovaries that don't hurt. Um, and I went to go find a really good doctor. And the way I found that was um, I started reading online. This girl, uh, Dana Parrish, has written some really nice articles about Lyme uh, for the Huff Huffington Post. So I looked to see which doctors were recommended in these uh, articles and I found a doctor uh, in Connecticut named Dr. Stephen Phillips and he took my case and I've been working with him but look we're not where I need to be I've had some results uh, had some popping in my ankle it was painful and popping uh, that actually went away uh, with my first course of doxycycline mm -hmm. um, after that we switched to tetracycline but got rid of that um, other things that cleared up are more minimal so we're Look, once Lyme goes longer than like a month to a year, it's harder and harder to treat. Mm -hmm. So you get more into a stage of management and um, wanting to uh, prevent further progression, right? So that's kind of where we are. We're hoping to see more results, but I'm trying different combinations of antibiotics at this time. We do pulses three weeks on, three weeks off, or two weeks on, two weeks off. Um, I've I've been on antifungals, I've been on anti-malarial, been on mm. several different types of antibiotics. Um, How long was your first run of doxycycline? I was on it for six weeks. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I also do now, um, I get a lot of muscle spasms, but again, we don't know, is this EDS or is this Lyme? Because right. they're very similar. Um, 
So uh, because Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is a collagen dysfunction that weakens connective tissue, so a lot of times my muscles stay in spasm to try to do the job that uh, my connective tissue will not do. Okay. Right? But then muscle pain is also a symptom of, yeah. you know, Lyme, yeah. Bartonella, Babesia, Ehrlichiosis, like there's so many things. Right. So I was like, well, what's going on? So, um, oh, so I started doing IVs uh, with magnesium because the muscle spasms are so intense. Like at night, it feels like someone is breaking my leg in half. So I get these really intense knee spasms, um, chest spasms, ankle spasms. Would that include, just out of ignorance, I guess, would that include involuntary movement? No, mm-hmm. I don't usually get uh, get movement. I get I cannot move my leg because it hurts so much I am going okay. to die. The gotcha. first time it happened, I didn't know what was happening. Right. And we didn't know, like, what's going on with my leg? And, you know, my husband, like, moved it just a little bit. I'm like, ow, 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 don't touch it, don't touch it. And then I, I willed myself to move my leg a little bit, and then it stopped. But getting it to just move right. a little bit to get it out of spasm is so horrifying. Jeez. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, but I'm dealing with pain like that. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. So, yeah, so, but why do I have such a magnesium depletion that it's causing these kinds of muscle spasms, mm-hmm. right? I mean, why isn't my body holding on to that magnesium? Most people don't experience that. So mm-hmm. why is that happening? Is this, uh, you know, is this Lyme? I, I tested positive for Lyme and Bartonella. Um, so those are what I'm dealing with. Um, you know, so we don't, we don't know. We don't know yeah, that's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. From that point, so you mentioned that you just, it, it gets to the point where you're just trying to manage. Mm-hmm. And um, has, has, from that point, has anything improved? Or has it just been a plateau? Since March, since I started treatment, you mean? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, well, I was having this... So, yes, there's some... I was having... The, I started to have, you know, uh, odd progression of, like, visual disturbances. So, um, it was hard for me to read because I couldn't look at it correctly. But if I went to the neuro-ophthalmologist and the eye doctor, they're like, no, you're fine... You have almost perfect vision, but why can't I see? And that actually relented um, in September and then just came back last week. Mm. So there's some kind of thing that Lyme will do to vision. So I'm sure that's Lyme and not EDS, Mm. you know, that part. Um, Also, uh, years ago, I was having really bad problems with interstitial cystitis. And come to find out, Lyme loves bladder collagen. So that could have been why that was happening to me. But also, because I have collagen dysfunction, also right. collagen in the bladder, you know, we don't know if it was a hypermobile thing, you know, because it starts spasming um, because your tissues aren't doing what they should. So everything's kind of affected. But we did figure that out with pelvic floor therapy and we were able to calm it down. But it's super common in people with Lyme or similar uh, vector-borne illness to get something like interstitial cystitis. So again, it's so hard to know. What is it? Right. Jeez. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, very it's complicated. Like when it first, when I first started, you know, figuring it out, you, I Googled it, you mm-hmm. know, learn what you can because I just wasn't trusting the doctors I was dealing with at the time. Yeah. And when you get past, like for me, it was getting past the wall of how horrifying it is. Mm-hmm. Just to be able to read it and compartmentalize enough to say, you need this information, just deal with it. Yeah. 
So the list of symptoms is this, might as well just say everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had been till after my, like I was, had been, said that I had it and was going through it that, like we, you were saying about like symptoms that come, came later, mm-hmm. was when a tinnitus just kicked in. Out of nowhere, literally, I'm sitting watching TV and I don't like blast it, I'm just watching the TV. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's like, like literally like a ping that just never stopped. Wow. This ping. And that, like, you know, we, I feel like at times we all experience this ringing that lasts for like a few seconds and then fades. Yep. So I'm like, oh, fade. And it didn't. And it wasn't. Wow. And um, that, and like, that was for me, like, I had just finished getting over like the physical, like, knees and ankles and, and the physical pain, but now here's this thing that doesn't physically hurt, but it's maddening. Yes. And, um... Yeah, anyone yeah. who has, like, an odd progression of symptoms, like you're talking about, should get evaluated. Like, you know, you have these parents that, like, all of a sudden their kid's suicidal, has never acted this way before, then, you know, mm-hmm. they're having seizure or they're having, you know, pain, but, like, this is not this kid. And, you know, they have found so many, like, neuropsychiatric reasons you know, are, um, that, that are Lyme-related. Right? Really? Yeah, so you treat the Lyme, your kid's not going to want to kill themselves anymore. They have found Lyme to be the cause in eating disorders. Wow. So there's so much evidence and research that has happened into how it's affecting people psychologically. We're not having a big enough discussion about it, or it's not a public enough announcement, or there's not enough public interest. I don't even know. But I know if my kid had any kind of weird pain or anxiety or depression or eating disorder, and I could just go get some lab work for um, not necessarily Lyme, because Lyme is hard. But there's so many other tests you can get for Bartonella, Toxoplasma, Anaplasma, Ehrlichiosis, Babesia. Um, I would start looking at those, and if any of those came up positive, I'd start treating with antibiotic. And if there is Lyme involved, and there is a psychiatric component, um, you know, you would know. But why wouldn't you take that chance? Yeah. Yeah, and then, then, so now, that's something that, even with what I've gone through, that I've never even heard, that it can have neurological effects as well. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Big time. That's that's pretty intense. Yeah, I mean, there's neurological Lyme. Um, You know, there's also Lyme carditis. You know, if you know people with, like, arrhythmias. uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the doctor. His name's uh, Dr. Neil Spector. But he wrote a book called um, Gone, in a, it's Gone in a Heartbeat. And he, uh, was, he was living in Miami. He's a, he's a cancer. He's a top oncologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was having pain in his wrists um, and some other issues. But no one would Lyme test him. No one, no one, no one. So finally, I think he was like in Massachusetts or something. And someone finally did do a test on him. Turns out he had Lyme. But at the same time, he, had had, he was getting a heart transplant. He could have saved himself the heart transplant if someone had just wow. treated him for Lyme initially. Mm. I mean, that is shocking, right? Yeah. And so my doctor, same thing. His dad was up for a heart transplant. My doctor had gone to Yale. He had done a little bit of research into Lyme. He didn't really understand why it was so messy and misunderstood. His, uh, his father, like I said, he's on the list for a heart transplant. He says, hey, dad, want to try an antibiotic? Maybe mm-hmm. it's Lyme. You know, we, they couldn't remember a bug bite or any of these things. But, hey, Dad, just on a hunch, let's try this. Right. Dad said, okay. 
didn't have to have a heart transplant. It was Lyme carditis. Man. So, I mean, that's, that's serious. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people are out there on a heart transplant list. Has that been investigated? Did anyone really look at Lyme or did they just run kind of a crappy test and go, hmm, you only have one band, it's negative. Or, hmm, right. it didn't show up here, you must be negative. You know? Yeah. And we're killing people. We are actually killing people by not investigating this. Even doctors are quick to say, well, you don't, you are in a location where there are ticks, so it can't possibly be that. And it just seems like what you're telling me and just what I hear, and it's so quickly brushed to the side, like so quickly, mm -hmm. that it's almost curiously, like, why dismiss it so quick, you know? Seems really odd to me, you know, um, what's the name of that theory where it's like the most um, common cause of something is most likely the cause, I can't remember what they call it, it's got like a fancy name, it's like someone's theory. Uh, but, it, yeah, if you think about it, your environment is going to be the biggest culprit, right? And maybe your genetic profile, maybe, maybe that would be first. But second is going to be your environment. So if you are sick, just talking about chronic illness in general, if you are sick, you need to look around your house. Do you have fragrance in your house? There's a ton of neurotoxins in that cause all kinds of neurological problems. Mm -hmm. So do you have candles? Do you have fragrance sticks? The other thing, you know, our new carpet, um, you know, car fresheners, all of those things can cause lots of problems for people. So you're looking at environment. What else is in your environment? You know, dust, mold. Um, people may think they have Lyme. It could be mold illness. So, you know, you have to look at both. Right. Um, that's very important. If you've been around a moldy area, make sure you get mold remediation because it will present as Lyme and you could be treated for Lyme and not get better because it's actually mold. You can have a positive Lyme test, but not be symptomatic, right? It's like cancer. You might have some cancer cells in your body. doesn't mean you're sick with cancer. Right. You know, you can have Lyme in your body. doesn't mean you're sick with Lyme. You may be. Did your immune function support it or, or not? You know, right. so you have to find that's, that's really important. But, you know, what's, yeah, what's in your environment? Bugs, pets, um, uh, your foods, uh, what do you consume? Every, you should look at all of those things and then you start building out. And then if you're not getting answers from any of those things, then start looking other places. But you really have to take the closest look at yourself and what's around you first, mm -hmm. you know. Also, have you traveled? You know, they say, oh, well, there's no ticks. Uh, there's no Lyme in Australia. Do you know people in Australia cannot get help? They cannot be treated for Lyme disease. They have decided there is no Lyme in Australia, and if you're a doctor treating it, you're like, um, you know, you're a criminal, and they will take away your license. Really? Which is crazy, because I'm pretty sure people go on airplanes to places, even, yeah. let's just say, Australia has no Lyme, okay? Just for the sake of argument. Right. Why would you allow your people to come back to Australia sick and not be able to get help? Yeah. I mean, to me, that's like a crime against humanity. Like, that makes me so sick. People are literally dying in Australia because they do have Lyme carditis or they're, you know, um, suffering with a major seizure disorder, all Lyme-related, um, and unable to get help. Or, you know, gastroparesis is a big one. Um, you know, their stomachs aren't working. They're unable to void. Uh, people get urinary paralysis from Lyme. Like, the list is so extensive of the terrible things that can happen. And when you just go to a doctor for a diagnosis, they will diagnose your symptom, 
give you a medication or perhaps a surgery, but they will never say, huh, what caused this? Let's find the root and let's fix that. They rarely, rarely do that. Wow. Yes. But yes, so ticks are everywhere. Right. Lyme disease is everywhere on every continent in every state in the United States. There is no, I mean, you can Google it. I suggest everyone never take my word for anything. Right. Do your own research. Google it. Um, but yes, Lyme is everywhere. That's the most ridiculous thing when they say, oh, we don't have Lyme hair. What do you mean you have Lyme hair? I've, I've left my house. Other people have left their house and come here. Right. You know, a, a bug can get in a suitcase. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's yeah. so stupid. Yeah, no, I, I would have never, like, it's weird to even just say that, like, this whole continent, nope. Nope, we don't have We're it. Good. And why are they so defensive? You yeah. know what I mean? Why are they so adamant that even a doctor can't treat it? Or in California, I know people that are like, well, no, we've been told we, uh, we can't have Lyme because there's Lyme, no Lyme in this area, even though they have a chronic tick problem in their apartment or house, right? There's right. someone I've spoken to like that. And I said, well, that's not a thing. It, Lyme's everywhere. Your county mm-hmm. can't tell you there is no Lyme. That's ridiculous. Um, and, you know, but that's what these people do. I mean, honestly, I mean, it just like... That is really just wrong. I mean, you are killing people. Like, there's like no accountability for that. I, I don't really understand oh, yeah. it. And this is the whole thing. Oh, we're oh, uh, this was another argument you would hear. Uh, over-treatment of Lyme or over-treating Lyme. How are you over-treating a sick person? Right? If you are sick and not getting better, how are you over-treating that person? Mm-hmm. Don't you treat until results are better? Right? That, that's what would make sense. I mean, the Hippocratic Oath is to, you know, basically help, not hurt, right? Mm-hmm. But if I am sick and I'm constantly sick and I'm just getting worse and I have an odd progression of symptoms that really make no sense at all, why are you telling me I can't have an antibiotic? If I had acne, you would give me an antibiotic. Yeah. But because I have joint pain, muscle pain, some anxiety that I didn't have before, depression maybe, I'm having these weird feelings when I pee and my bladder doesn't feel right you're not gonna put that together in any way that you'll allow me to have an antibiotic I mean but that's that's what's been happening to people and and I'm hoping that we're at a point where that's going to start changing I know um in Maine they had a lot of people who are sick Maine's very notorious Lyme country and um they had a lot of people coming back with these negative Lyme tests but they were still sick and they were like why why is this happening? So they started testing for Bartonella, uh, Babesia, or Lichiosis. I don't know, some of the other, what they call co-infections. And let me just say, co-infections does not mean you have Lyme. They see a lot of co-infections in people that have Lyme. The two are not exclusive, and they are totally different uh, manifestations, right? Lyme and Bartonella are not the same thing. You can have Bartonella without having Lyme. Um, but so they started testing for that. People started coming up positive. Then they could treat because the standards were they cannot treat if they didn't have a positive test, even right. though they knew these people were sick. So they had to find a way to treat them. And so they started investigating all these other tests. And after you and I talk, I will post all the lab work people should have done. If they ever have any kind of weird illness, these are the labs you should be asking your doctor for. Okay. You know, and, and none of it is invasive. You can get it done at LabCorp. You know, it's not like, except for Bartonella. Bartonella testing has to be cultured. There's a lab called Galaxy DX. I think they're in North Carolina. Um, and they culture the Bartonella. That's the only real way to find out if you're positive for Bartonella. You, LabCorp doesn't do it. They, they'll run the test. It means nothing. It, right. They actually don't do it correctly. Um, 
Stony Brook has great Lyme testing uh, for Western blot. Um, you know, if, you, if someone does want to go that way. But so many of these illnesses that we're getting from ticks, fleas, lice, spiders, horse flies, mm-hmm. um, are not necessarily Lyme. But they're, you know, from a flea, you know, there's like 12 different types of Bartonella. You know, you can ask mm-hmm. your veterinarian, you know, your dog will get Bartonella and he'll treat for it. Your veterinarian can get Bartonella, but does the vet ever tell you, hey, right. you haven't been feeling well? I ha- we should check you for Bartonella. Look, if your dog right. can have it, you can, you can have it. Yeah, especially with what people are doing with their dogs now. Right. <laughs> they, <laughs> more possible than ever. Yeah, but I was reading the American Journal of, or the Veterinarian, American Journal, whatever. Their journal right. <laughs> for veterinarians. And this is like the big time rise, uh, you know, the... Uh, occupational hazard of being a veterinarian is Bartonella because you can get, you know, it's all different ones, you know, from a rabbit, it's a, you know, a rabbit flea, um, you know, a dog flea, cat flea, uh, rat flea, they all carry different types of Bartonella, but you know, you think about the Zika virus, that's a mosquito, there's a whole bunch of other stuff you can get from a mosquito that isn't Zika that no one talks about, but affects way more people than the right. 10 people that, you know, Zika affects, I mean, yeah. granted, it's more than 10, but you know what I'm saying. We hear more about something that doesn't happen very often than we do about the things that can happen a whole lot. But we uh, have become, I don't know, we think because we're a first world country that these things don't happen to us. You know, parasites don't happen. Uh, bug-borne illness doesn't happen. But let me just tell you, it happens everywhere. Yeah. And especially among people who do a lot of traveling. You don't know what you're, you may come back with. Yep. That isn't... A normal thing here and then therefore it could be overlooked yeah exposure look exposure is exposure right we are way more transient than we used to be we right. travel more we see more we you know everyone's Instagram account wants the remote island in Borneo somewhere right. where you know you can catch who knows what right. but you know just I was just reading uh, in China you know they had a case of bubonic plague and bu- bubonic plague plague bubonic plague mm-hmm. and um, you know, but these cases do happen occasionally around the world and even in the United States. Again, though, that's a flea bite from a rat to a person. Right. Not, not uncommon. Yeah. You know, we live in New York City. Where are the rats? They're friggin' everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you think that flea can't bite you? Of course right. it can. You know, it's scary. But, I mean, I guess, you know, that's the weird thing about this Lyme diagnosis is it's like opened my eyes. I feel like, oh my God, how come I never even knew this? Yeah. You know, but bugs are everywhere and they carry bacteria and it's not uncommon and you should get checked if you have anything wrong with you. You know, you think about like there's uh, the tick-borne Nelson. I, I, I never say this right, but it's like Poasin, Poasin? I don't know, P-O-W-A-S-S-U-N, I think it's spelled. But it, it will kill you. You know, mm-hmm. and it's a tick bite. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's um, alpha gal, which is also a tick bite. It usually culminates in a meat allergy. If all of a sudden you're eating a hamburger and your nose is running, right. or eating some bacon, your nose is running, you probably got bit by uh, a tick that carried alpha gal. Okay. Um, you know, but there's a lot of illnesses like that. Like, you know, I have some of these on my Instagram account that, you know, the, all these different types of things that just a tick can um, carry. And really, it's like. Fascinating, because you go, what can a tick carry? Oh my God, that many things. I don't even know what they do. Like the Mm -hmm. list is endless. And then you just switch to another bug. 
you know, how right. many of those things, you know, so I just tell anyone, if you are having um, symptoms, Google those symptoms and try to line them up, you know, bug bite, you know, you could do bug bite joint pain, see right. what comes up. Bug bite, uh, migraine headache, see what comes up. Yeah. Uh, bug bite, my nose is running for no reason, see what comes up. Um, also, you know, people think, oh, I don't have Lyme disease because I only had one band come up. Okay, well, let's say you had one band come up, two bands, three bands, whatever it is. Google the band and see what those symptoms are because each band is different. Do your symptoms fall in that category? If so, I would, I would investigate that diagnosis. Yeah. And like, for me, like, so I, I've been getting migraines since I was a teenager, mm -hmm. um, but they were intensified once I was, you know, in the middle of, of Lime Land. You know what I mean? Like it, right, it got worse. The, the symptoms got pronounced. worse, and they were they were always ocular migraines. So I would always get what they call the auras um, yes. in the eyes. But when Lyme was happening to me, all that wasn't just intensified. So where normally it would almost like the aura would not be too much more than a floater, mm -hmm. and with the Lyme, I would turn into like Stevie Wonder. Mm -hmm. Where it would just be huge and like for about a half hour, I would just have to just like not, not do anything because I just could not. I thought this was our Whoa. silent. What is that? That's my phone. Oh. Probably a telemarketer. So That's hilarious. Um, so I'm looking at this on this um, Bartonella. There's way more than 12. So we have like Bartonella from, uh, it was like a sandfly vector. Uh, rabbit flea, cat flea, uh, oriental rat flea, uh, rodent flea, cat flea, cat flea, sheep, uh, body louse, uh, fleas, mites, ticks. These are all different ones, though, different carriers. Uh, fleas, ticks, unknown. This is from the white-footed mouse. Uh, and there's coyote, which is usually by ticks. Like, I mean, but like this, this list of Bartonella is just crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, and they, the, you know, things that these, um, Bartonella can cause. So here's some of the symptoms. Um, human or dog, myocarditis, endocarditis. Human or cat, endocarditis. Uh, human uh, bacteremia, uh, fever, endocarditis. Uh, bacteremia, I don't know how you say, if I'm saying that right. Fever, trench fever, endocarditis, endocarditis. Most of them cause heart problems, but you know they also have you know, a range of other things. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> also, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, uh, if you've ever met people that have like a throat problem, mm -hmm. um, you know, the dysphonia where they have a hard time speaking, mm -hmm. um, that is often Lyme, but usually not investigated. Like I was uh, going through Instagram, this girl's like in Switzerland getting needles put in her throat. Never does it say anywhere that she's had any kind of, uh, you know, vector-borne, zoonotic, or parasitic, parasitic, uh, parasitic illness investigated, right? Instead, they're just trying to treat a symptom. You have someone like Shania Twain who experienced terrible dysphonia. Can you imagine? You sing for a living. Right. And uh, she couldn't get her voice to go right. She had Lyme. So, you know, these, mm. are, you know, these are very, very common. So here it is. Black-legged ticks can carry anaplasmosis, Lyme disease, Borrelia, uh, myomatoid, babesiosis, which is a parasite, poacin, and other related tick-borne encephalitis viruses. Uh, wood ticks um, can transmit uh, Colorado tick fever, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, and tularemia. A brown dog tick can 
also transmit uh, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. So like you, you think about this, right? Like that is a lot of things. And yeah. you know, signs of like Powassan virus is fever, headache, vomiting, weakness, confusion, loss of coordination with difficult walking and talking, speech difficulties, memory problems. But you know, if you went in there, how many times would, would a doctor come up with that? Yeah. I mean, that's what's so crazy. And it says, um, you know, ticks become infected when they feed on groundhogs, squirrels, mice, and other rodents that have the virus in their blood. Infected ticks can then spread Powassan uh, virus to people and other animals by biting them. People do not develop high enough levels of the virus in their blood to infect biting ticks. As a result, people are considered dead-end hosts for the virus. So, you know, it's not going to bite you and mm-hmm. then give it to something else, but it right. can give you the disease, right. you know. So it's not contagious among humans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It's not going to bite you and then be able to give it. But if it's the right. same bug, it can bite more than one person and right. infect more than one person. But that was from the CDC website. But honestly, they say, and also from Forbes.com, you know, I get several sources. You know, I I don't believe anyone. So when mm-hmm. I start Googling stuff, you know, and this is also from MedicineNet.com, like I look at everything because I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't want to be... Uh, have the wrong information. So I really try to check to make sure I have the right information for myself. Otherwise, I'm living a lie, right? And yeah. I did that for too long. So now my eyes are wide open. <laughs> and what you've done pretty much now, like you've trans almost transformed your Instagram page into just uh, so much information. And I don't say that like as a joke. You know, it, it's true. No, it's like, a lot. Yeah, no, I, I go down a medical rabbit hole and I try to find whatever might be relevant to someone. Even if it's not relevant to me, like, I care more about other people being sick than I do about my own illness, which it can be a problem for me because I spend a lot of time trying to figure out how someone else can be helped or what have they right. missed or what is going on that I will not pay attention to my own health. I had a collapsed lung in August and I'm not kidding you. I was sitting there getting the x-ray. I could barely breathe and I was answering an email about Lyme, who someone doesn't want to get investigated and keeps telling me, like, it's been several months of back and forth. I'm like, just get checked. Just get checked. Why wouldn't you just get checked? Right. She's having all kinds of health problems. Now she's got a heart problem. Now she's, you know, her stomach's not working. Now and she's got pain. Like, and now she's got anxiety. And now she's got, I'm like, why wouldn't you look? Just yeah. look. Just right. investigate this, please. So it was like one of those where I've already spent a lot of time, you know, they're asking me questions. I'm responding very thoughtful. Right. I'm very lengthy. Um, and I'm sitting there. I can't breathe. I'm, I'm literally going like this. And I'm starting to email back. And I was like, what am I doing? Right. And I just stopped. I was like, I've given them all the information. It is up to them to investigate. I cannot make anybody do anything they don't want to do. Even mm-hmm. though I want to save them, I can't save them. Mm-hmm. And... You know, that's what happens. But yes, I have a lot of information on my Instagram and not as much as I want because I'm like, I'm, I'm, um, I'm voracious when it comes to medical information. So, you know, I want to read it and I want to share it and I want to tell everyone about it and I want to explain it and I want you to get better. And I really have to slow down because my hands don't support the the veracity (laughs) of which I would like to share it and, you know, uh, and, and help people. So. I have had to take some time. I was on a trip and then I came back and because I need to let my wrists rest, I haven't been 
back on Instagram in a little bit, um, but I still have lots of information there <laughs> and we'll continue to add information very soon, but I, I did need a rest and that is part of me ignoring my own health and pain because I feel like other people, you know, need help. Right. It's, it's a, that part is my sickness. I don't have the onstage sickness where I need a lot of feedback and clapping. Right. I do need to know that maybe I could help someone. Mm. Now, one other thing about Lyme that I wanted to touch mm-hmm. on and just sort of discuss it with you is one thing that I learned through internet research and through other people who had been through it and that I didn't know going in is that um, Lyme disease is either 100% or somewhat of a, a man-made illness. Oh, you're, you're talking about the biological yeah. warfare. Mm-hmm. Right. And, Plum, um, Plum Island. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and now... There was, I believe, Lyme, Connecticut is a place. Yes, And it, it was is. where the first... That's why they call it Lyme, Connecticut. Yeah, was it? That's why they call it Lyme, because in Lyme, Connecticut was the first diagnosed right. case of Lyme. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I do know about Plum Island. I know that... Um, I think the Pentagon did open an investigation onto whether Lyme was used as biological warfare. I know mm-hmm. that there's some speculation... Um, I don't know if it's speculation or actual solved research. That's why I always say Google everything. Right. Um, but they in the Gulf War, they were coming back with Lyme, mm-hmm. which makes you wonder how in the Gulf War were they getting yeah. Lyme disease? They certainly weren't in Connecticut. Right. Right. So was it being used as biological warfare there that backfired? Um, but, you know, that, I mean, that whole uh, Lyme creation and biological warfare, I mean, it goes back, you know, Several decades. World War Two. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. But yes, you can see where if look if someone's creating something like that, how look you get one bug that escapes. Yeah. <laughs> it can be a problem. It's like a horror movie. Yeah. 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 You know, it's super scary. Um, I don't know. You know, I think I think we are just in a big state of denial. I don't think it's conspiracy theory uh, so much. I mean, it does feel like a conspiracy, but I think it's, I think it's denial. I think it's uh, either uh, doctors did not learn about it. Doctors weren't curious about it. They were told it was one thing and they just accepted it, you know, and, and that's also though, you know, I, I'm very firm believer in what I call medical empowerment, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you aren't getting what you need from your doctor, you need to ask for it. And if that doctor doesn't give it to you, I know it's a pain in the ass and it is exhausting, especially when you don't feel well, but you need to ask another doctor about it. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't asking for things that will help you, whether that's an anti-inflammatory, um, you know, uh, testing, uh, whatever it is that you know you need help with, uh, supplementation, you know, uh, maybe you want to look at your nutrition, you need to ask for you know testing for that, uh, hormonal testing, you know, whatever it is. But it is up to you because you know we think our doctor should do that. Your doctor is not going to do it. Your right. doctor has about fifteen minutes. He's not going right. to investigate you, right? If if he can't figure it out in two minutes and put you into a category that's comfortable for him, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. So you have to be your own doctor. And it is hard, but you have to do it because otherwise you are sitting at home like me for the last 10 years and you probably could have been getting better and maybe you could have gone back to work and instead you've been on a couch. Yeah. I mean, that's the honest to God truth. Who do I have to blame now? I only have myself to blame because I wasn't curious enough to look. I believed my doctor and that was a mistake. And my doctor doesn't owe me. I owe me. Right? You owe you. 
Right. It is your health. Your doctor doesn't go home and have to sit in that body. Yeah. You do. You know, it is and, up to us. And that is, like, going through it, that is a tough lesson to learn. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I understand that doesn't sound compassionate or loving or whatever, but I don't really care about that. That right. is the truth, yeah. and the only thing that's going to help you is the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's true. If someone being nice to you doesn't get you better. Right. And it is unfortunate, but, you know, I mean, I've had some very nice doctors, but they did not help me. So as we're like, we'll we wrap up soon. So if you, maybe you can go into where, where are you at now with all this? Um, you know, for me, I am on a fact-finding mission. I am trying to put together all the pieces, trying to figure out what's going to make me better. Uh, I met with a doctor the other day because um, I had some, uh, some scars that were painful, and he does something called neural scar therapy, also called German acupuncture. Uh, big in Europe uh, since like the 40s or something. We don't use it a lot over here. I was curious about it. I went to go see him. He was actually very well-rounded. He even knew my doc, you know, knew my doctors. He knew um, certain other methods I've uh, used. So he was familiar. Not a lot of doctors are. You know, you, you're telling them more. You know, you leave the office saying, if you have any questions, call me right. instead of the other way around. You know, it happens right. a lot, which, you know, it's good if they're open and curious and want to know about you. But I want the doctor telling me stuff, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so he was very good at that. And um, he said, um, you know, he did, he treated a scar and then he said, you know, you're treating everything so locally and I don't see, it doesn't sound like you're getting better as a whole thing and you're not doing very well. He said, you know, we need to look at how we can make you feel overall better instead of, you know, making your hip feel better with, you know, I'm getting, you know, bupivacaine injections in either hip. I'm getting them in both sides of my neck because I have terrible, you know, uh, neurological, you know, I have these, uh, this nerve pain that's just awful, uh, neuropathy, sorry, not neurological, uh, neuropathy uh, and, um, you know, spasms because the muscles have to go into spasm because the nerves are so screwed up. So, you know, your muscles protect you that way, but it's so painful. So that's happening in my back and my neck, um, you know, and then I get these deep muscle treatments um, to get my muscles out of spasm, but they're very invasive. I, you know, I'm under, you know, a, a sedation when it happens. I've had over a hundred muscles treated from the top of my head to my feet because my whole body is basically in spasm, right. you know, so I'm doing a lot of things to try to manage this pain, but it doesn't, it's incremental. So I take these giant therapeutic, um, you know, like therapeutic undertaking, right. And I'm getting not very far. Mm -hmm. So we have to look at that. And he, he gave me some, some ideas of how to approach this going forward, which I was very happy about. Um, but you know, right now I think my, my, where I am, um, and what I'm able to do is hopefully create awareness of, you know, has your doctor looked at everything? Have you asked for the things your doctor hasn't thought of? Mm -hmm. um, and can you get better? If we start eliminating layers of illness, let's say you have a parasite you didn't know have. You could have something like strongyloides. It presents usually as childhood allergies, in adulthood, a stomach blockage. Um, mostly, you're going to go to an allergist. They're going to treat you for allergies. They're right. not going to look as to why. You've been carrying around strongyloides the whole time since you were a kid because you used to walk barefoot. It's a low-level parasite. Right. But you can get a blood test and find out if you have strongyloides. Mm -hmm. When we remove that, are you going to feel a little bit better? Right. You know, um, so to me, it's like, 
let's just remove those layers of illness. If, if you're getting um, IV infusion therapy of iron because you just keep being iron deficient, has the doctor looked again? There's a parasite causes same thing, you know. So you know you just do the test and uh, let's see for strongyloides, ivermectin I think is the remedy for the. I'm trying to remember the name of the. Uh, it's not a ringworm. What is the name of the one that causes the iron deficiency? Well, anyways, you can Google it. <laughs> um, but the iron deficiency, you know, again, I think it's a stool sample, uh, and they treat it with antibiotic. And here's the other thing: people go, "Oh, antibiotics are bad." First right. of all. It was the antibiotics in the meat that became our enemy, right? They're the right. ones that became the problem. Avoid antibiotics in your meat. You're going to be on antibiotics very few times. It shouldn't be a problem. Um, the other thing is, how much do you like feeling like crap? If you don't want to feel like crap, try the antibiotic. Right. You know, otherwise, shut up. <laughs> I mean, kind of, right? It's mm -hmm. like... If you don't want to try, but there's also other kind of antibiotics, right? So, you know, there's uh, like uh, uh, antifungals, antibiotics, like liposomal oregano. Um, there, I mean, there are other things. So if you are totally adverse to a pharmaceutical antibiotic, even though it could make you well, I understand, but search out something that can help you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't think I would be the type of person that would go on the IV um, antibiotics just because I don't want the undertaking. I also don't want a port put in. I think I'm too vulnerable to take that chance. Right. I am the type of person that if it can go wrong, it will. Um, so if it comes to that, I'm going to have to try to figure out a different way to get better, right? Um, let's see. Also, I think awareness that these things can happen is so important in any type of chronic illness management. You know, um, for me specifically, I have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Hypermobility is mm -hmm. the type that I have. There's several types of EDS. Um, it is a genetic mutation. I do have the genetic support uh, uh, proof of that. Not everyone does. Uh, for hypermobility, they say they can't find the gene. This is an interesting story too. But So just real quick. So sure. I, I have something called the TNXB gene, which is tenacin X, which has to do with like muscle fibers, which... Exactly, you know, it's collagen, right? Basically, it's, mm -hmm. they don't do their job. The, the, I think they call them fibrocils. Um, so because uh, it's not doing that, it explains my hypermobility problems. And they say only 5% of the EDS patients have this TNXB gene of the hypermobility patients. But what's interesting, they say only 5% of the population has EDS. And then, so that means I'd be 5% of the 5%, okay? okay. So hypermobility is um, diagnosed a lot, and it doesn't always mean it's Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. There's lots of reasons for hypermobility. It could be bacterial, like Lyme, for example, or Bartonella, mm -hmm. some of these other uh, uh, bug-borne illnesses, vector-borne illnesses, can eat away things like uh, connective tissue, cartilage, which is another thing. Like, I don't have a lot of cartilage in my knees. Why? Is it EDS or is it Lyme? We don't know. Mm -hmm. um, which is one of the reasons I have such the bad spasms in the muscles is because the cartilage isn't there in the knees. So I, I get the injections and you know, you can trigger cartilage to regrow if it's stimulated, um, which hopefully will do that by having the injections and stimulating it a little bit. But people who do get well from different vector borne illness who, that did eat their cartilage, um, it will start to come back once treated. So now hypermobility it happens in a lot of people's hips. I, parents have contacted me, um, adults have contacted me, you know, where they were diagnosed with hypermobility in an area. Mm -hmm. um, happened to be because of Lyme disease. 
not because they had hypermobility syndrome or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, but it presents as that. Right. So it's very confusing because you have a lot of people out there that I, I have a hunch are getting diagnosed as hypermobile EDS, but actually have a bacterial reason and they're not treating the bacteria. So they're going to have further deterioration of the joints and uh, further health complications because everything is collagen. So I wonder, and this is my weird couch uh, scientist theory, right? Because I'm not a real scientist or doctor. Um, but what if the TNXB gene is the end of the story? Maybe that is the hypermobile gene they keep looking for, but they keep saying, oh, we don't know the gene that causes hypermobility, and they're trying to find it. They have a geneticist looking for it who's never actually found any Ehlers-Danlos genes that I'm aware of. I, I know a genetic researcher that found, I think, two of the EDS genes, and they, for some reason, did not ask him to try to locate the hypermobility EDS gene, even though he said he can do it in less time and uh, for less money, and we're at over a year now and over a million dollars of them trying to find it. He said he could probably do it in six months for about 500000 Makes me crazy um, to be part of a, of a group of people who I don't feel like are serving the group of people they're supposed to be serving. Um, I'm not sure who they're serving, probably themselves as any corporate-run charity uh, type of foundation is. Anyways, the, I, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but you have these EDS uh, diagnosis coming up, sort of like um, uh, illness du jour, right? Fibromyalgia, everything used to be fibromyalgia, remember? Mm -hmm. Everything, you know, it's always something, right? And so you have people like Lena Dunham, um, Sia, all of a sudden saying that they have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. But do they? Or do they have a bacterial reason for a hypermobility or pain problem? And I don't know. But if you are not investigated, even though you can be very positive that that diagnosis sounds right, if you have not made sure that you did not have a parasitic, zoonotic, or vector-borne reason for it, you are doing a disservice to yourself. And maybe you were sick and you don't have to be. Or maybe you won't be as sick. But I keep seeing over and over and over these terrible progression, you know, among girls, guys, young, you know, young into in, adulthood, but children too, you know, where they are functioning at such a low level and so young, it's like you're missing out on so much life. And maybe, yeah. maybe if someone looked at this, we could remove some of that and maybe they will get better. But until you look at everything and look under all stones, it's, you know, it ha the story hasn't been written for you yet. Mm -hmm. You know, you still have a chance. So I don't know. To me, you just have to keep looking. You cannot just accept a diagnosis and then start patching it with pills to manage yeah. symptoms. I just yeah. don't think that's, I just don't think that's the way we should go. I think that that is almost like accepting death. That's how it feels to me. Yeah. And this is based on hearing your, your, story through this and then knowing what what I went through is you say just getting pills thrown at you is what mm -hmm. you know I got like intense pain pills thrown at me yeah right although they got no problem giving you an opiate but not an yeah. antibiotic right <laughs> they'll give you opiates but they're not going to run a Lyme test for you right. and that's a good point because by, up by me huge opiate problem I think it's like one in five, like opiate addiction. Yeah. You know, they put me on opiates after I was in a really bad car accident. I mean, traumatic brain injury, broken pelvis. Mm. It was bad. But, they, you know, 
there was no information. They just give you that right. that hydrocodone and some muscle relaxers, and yeah. they're like, take four a day. And I did, and I was like, I am not feeling better. I am still in pain. I'm yeah. just not going to take these anymore. And I'm one of the lucky ones. Now, looking back on it, I'm like, oh, my God. There was no awareness whatsoever, you yeah. know, about opiates or the damage they could do. Now, we know a lot, and we know exactly what those pills are called. At that time, we did not. And um, I think what Russian roulette they were playing with my life. Yeah. You know, and what Russian roulette they are playing with so many people's lives, but they won't investigate an illness. They won't give you an antibiotic. They won't try to find out if an anti-malarial will help you or an antifungal, but we right. will give you an opiate. And then what, what do they want? Well, you're going to be on an opiate, but then they say you can't be on it too long, right? You're not, so then what are we going to fix with the opiate? Like, what, what are we doing? Okay, great. What now? Right. What's what's your plan, doctor? Right. You're giving me some pain meds, and then what? You just hope I'm not in pain yeah. in a few yeah. months Either when you decide go... to stop giving right. them to me? Exactly. Is that what's going to happen? It, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, don't, Maybe it'll go don't get me started somewhere. on opiates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's true, though. And I feel like the, the, the period or the exclamation point of all this with... You've you know, I've learned a lot about EBS here, yeah. which I didn't know yeah. much about. But that line, all these different things, is so now, if I didn't know you from nobody, mm -hmm. I'm just sitting across from you, you appear fine. I appear fine. I, you know, I, hope, I don't mean that as No, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because there is a whole community and our hashtag is, but you don't look sick. Right. Right, because we don't look sick. And, yeah. and there's really... Nothing worse you can say to someone who's suffering than, but you look fine. Right. I mean, not that you were saying that, but I'm just saying, right. you know, because then that person feels like now they have to try to defend it, explain it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they don't, you know, they don't need to do that. Although I always take those opportunities as a learning moment and I can see people start to glaze over and sorry they asked, but it's like, you know what? So this is, this was my week. This is what I did. Yeah. This is why, this is how I'm sick. Um, because now I feel like that's an opportunity for me to educate someone because maybe it will help someone else along right. the line, right? And, um, but there is that whole thing, yes, you don't look sick, but you know, no one knows that I was just in China and Japan using a wheelchair. You know, like, mm -hmm. I look fine, I can't use a cane. Like, there's this picture of Lena Dunham using a cane because of her EDS. I'm like, well, she must have the good EDS because I can't use a cane because my wrist hurts. Right. Yeah, I have such bad wrist and shoulder pain. You know, and there's these muscle treatments I get. You have to use a cane with it. I, my foot was in spasm for a year before I could get well enough to use a cane for three days. So, Jeez. yeah. So, I mean, that is the type of, like, constant physical assault I'm under. But, yes, I do. I, I, look, I look okay. Yeah. To someone who, like, did, did not know you, just a stranger on the street. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, you know, when I went through my life thing... I didn't look much different, yeah. especially when I was sitting, trying to walk around. Yeah. It was a different story. Right. When you're trying to figure out how many steps to take, that's, that's the part people don't see. How many steps is it going to take me to get from here to where I need to go? Will I be able to take a cab? Will I be able to get to a bus? I don't know. Maybe the bus is too far for me to walk. I, I mm -hmm. could hurt my hip doing that. And what if, what if by the time the bus drops me off, I'm having some other kind of pain? Like everything is like this constant management of physical exertion. Yeah. It is like this weird math problem that you're constantly figuring out versus energy, physical strength, physical yeah. pain, emotional pain, <laughs> anxiety. Yeah. You know, it's like you're, you're managing those all the time. Your mind is very busy when you are managing a chronic illness. Yeah. 
And I started, so like, with me it was mostly in the joints, and knees and ankles. And, uh, but it did start towards the end, before it started to improve, it did creep into my wrists. Mm -hmm. Now, I draw or paint every single day. Yeah. And if, talk about things psychologically, like, if I don't get that in, I don't feel right. Mm -hmm. You know, if I don't get that little outlet every day. Yes. <clears throat> and, um... I would, so I do like a lot of, just not to get technical, but like a lot of cross hatching, a lot of stippling, a lot of stuff that takes the wrist mm -hmm. to do mm -hmm. in terms of visual art. And I started noticing myself like stopping and mm -hmm. every so often I just kind of do the, do the stretch and you know, the whole bit. And those periods in which I would stop got closer and closer and closer together. To the point where it's like, well, I'm not, look, you can take whatever you want, but you're not taking this yeah. ability away from me. Yeah. And um, It will take it, though. I ended up, which worked for me, it doesn't work for everybody, but I ended up going to the store and getting those things that you squeeze. Oh, that helped you? And it, and it yeah. did help to a degree, yeah. I have uh, wrist guard because um, it got so bad that now I, I wear these a lot on the right hand and left hand, but you know, it's a hard plastic, um, you know, mm -hmm. I immobilize because using it right. makes it hurt, you know, mm -hmm. it, to the point where like, I can't chop vegetables. I can't brush my hair sometimes. I can't wash my hair sometimes. I have actually thing in my shower to help me wash my hair because mm -hmm. making that, yeah. doing that, is so right. painful, but you know, I was doing hair. I, I depended right. on my hands. My hands yeah, have done yeah. so much for me in life. Right. You know, not to be able to use them. You know, my shoulders hurt. You know, I, I can't. I, I never blow out my hair. I'm a hairstylist. I don't do right. my hair because it hurts my shoulder. Like right. it, 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 it's really crazy. And it's like, you know, it's like living in some kind of weird prison. You know, because it doesn't look like you're in prison, but you right. can't get out. Mm -hmm. You know, no one can see that you're in a jail cell, but you are actually in one because you can't just go out and do things like normal people would do. And yeah. the thing is, I haven't committed a crime. I don't deserve that prison. Right. You know, I didn't do anything to be here. Every, At least a prisoner knows why they're there. Right. Every activity needs to be presupposed. Totally. And as you were saying, talk about getting places, but even like I catch myself in the mindset of, okay, Albert, you'll get there. But how are you going to feel when you get there? What's, what's that going to, you know, are you yeah. going to have to endure being somewhere and being sick? Yeah. You know, and, and I've caught myself with this balance of either, you know, am I going to stay home and like quote unquote yes. rot? Yeah, I know. Or am I going to try to push myself to get out there and then end up being somewhere away from home? Yeah, and in pain and agony. In and... pain, agony, nausea. I got a lot of nausea. Mm -hmm. And not have the tools to ease it yep. when you're out. Yep. So, yeah. It's, yeah. No, I feel you. I, you. I have the nausea and the migraine, and you know, I have all the, you know, I have a cabinet full of pills. Mm -hmm. But why, why do I have these things? Um, you know, but you're talking about that, like this, this is just a extreme, uh, uh, just really tells a story. Like sometimes I have to hold my pee so long so that I don't have to make extra trips to the bathroom because you know, we have a long hallway in this apartment. Right. Sometimes that's too much for my ankles. Like people don't think about, like I have to manage how many trips I make back to the bedroom, like, or I start carrying things with me. 
I'm like, well, I'll just bring it all at one time. Right. You know, I put everything in a bag or something because I can't make multiple trips. Or doing the laundry is excruciating for me because it's so much back and forth through the laundry machine. Mm -hmm. Right? So now my ankles can't do that. And so then the laundry will pile up because I'm in so much pain. You know, I, but people don't think about it. It's like weird little things like you're saying. Or uh, if you're going to get to the movie, you think you're going to get right into the movie and buy the ticket. Oh my God, there's a line. I don't know if I can stand in the line because my hip is burning already because I had to walk an extra block that I didn't plan on walking just to get here because the cab couldn't get close enough. Like whatever. And, you know, I, I know you live in Pennsylvania. It's a little different. You probably drive a car and pull up to where you need to be. But in New York, you are so dependent on whatever is happening in the city right then. Right. You know, and I have found so much, um, I guess people just don't understand. They don't have compassion or empathy. But I, it will tell people, um, you know, can you help me? Um, I, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm not going to be able to walk. Um, like, they'll be like, oh, you got to walk around. It's, <laughs> yeah. You know, you got to go down the avenue and around the block. But I'm like, but there's an entrance right here and this is where the cab dropped me off so that I could walk less and I thought this was your front door. Right. And they're like, sorry, can't let you in. You're like, but I can't walk around. So I'm gonna have to go get in another cab and drive mm -hmm. around to get to the entrance that you're telling me to get to. Are you saying that's what I have to do? But you could just let me in? Right. Like, really? <laughs> like, sorry. I'm yeah. like, okay, great. But they're so mean, you know, in 14th street, they blocked off six avenues from like okay. 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. or whatever it is. And people were so furious, right? They were like, well, it's just made for rich people that can drive down the street. And, uh, you know, it's not helping the people who need to get to work. First of all, able-bodied people on 14th street, they have three choices. They can walk, they can take a bus, or they can take the train, right? There's a train that goes right. 14th, yeah. clear under there. So you have three ways to get there. If you have a broken leg, maybe your feet just hurt and you just can't do the walk today, or you have mobility problems, right? Mm -hmm. Whether that's a wheelchair or a hip problem like myself or ankle knee problem like sometimes I have. I mean, whatever it is, whatever's ailing you, right? You, you're having mobility problems. You cannot take a cab and get dropped off now because some people decided that was for rich people. No, right. no, that's not for rich people. That's so people can get there. Yeah. People who wouldn't necessarily be able to get there any other way. And then you have, you know, cabs cost so much money. I mean, you know, some of us are fortunate enough. We can afford the cabs. We don't have to really think about it. Right. But there's a lot of people who can't. And why are they being penalized trying to get from point A to point B, but they don't have the luxury of physical health to yeah. take a subway or a bus? Like, it is so crazy making. Even the way they have, you have to stand out here to get um, a cab. You have to actually stand in the middle of traffic because they've made the bike lane, the turn lane, <laughs> I mean, in the, in the parking lane, right? So you usually just stand in the middle of the road to try to catch a cab. Jeez. I'm like, well, if I wasn't injured before, right. <laughs> I will be injured when the car hits me. Yeah. Like, they just, they, they, they have no real understanding of how hard it is to get around in a city that is not made for people who are not healthy. And it, it starts to feel like discrimination. Um, I know I've written plenty of letters to, like, the mayor's office and, and New York One. Mm. No one seems to even care. Um, even the disabilities office here, I've tried to contact and I've never heard back from them. Um, but you know, just the fact that all these lanes are closed too, it takes so long for me to get where I'm going because I have to make sure I'm dropped off as close as possible right. because I'm in too much pain to take any extra steps. But sometimes when they have these lanes closed, like on fifth Avenue, there's, there's nobody in the bus lanes There's no buses. 
but we can't drive there and we're sitting in traffic, mm -hmm. polluting, not only mention just the environmental cost, you know, but I'm stuck. I don't yeah. get to get out of the cab and then try to hoof it right. to the doctor's office I'm going to. Anyway, you know, it's just hard. Everything feels like an assault. You leave the house and it's like a landmine. What's going to go wrong? If someone has a car freshener in the car, I've now developed this like extreme chemical sensitivity. I get a vestibular disturbance. And I don't mean like I dislike your car freshener, your, right. your black <laughs> death smelling yeah. car freshener. Um, but I actually get a physical response where I become nauseous, dizzy, and confused. Like that's not normal. And I'm right. sure that's lying. But a lot right. of people with vestibular disturbance are like, oh, I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. I'm like, but what is the mechanism causing that? There is not a mechanism. Right. So we can keep saying it's your EDS causing your, your you know, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndromes, which I have, your mast cell activation syndrome. Many times that's Lyme. You start getting weird allergies, which I definitely have. I don't know right. if you've gotten any weird food allergies I've, through all this. I've not so much no? with the food allergies, but I went through a phase that comes and goes where my vision is very sensitive. Mm. And I went um, I went to an eye doctor. This is I don't know, Dr. Gem story. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it short though. No. Is um, went to an eye doctor because <clears throat> I needed new glasses anyway. Mm -hmm. Go and um, he gives like I told him I had floaters, which I Yeah, I have those too. Yeah. They're really annoying. They are annoying. Oh. I try to like I try to ignore them, but sometimes yeah, I know. And sometimes. then there are times for me when I'm like, huh, because I can't at first distinguish, like, is this a floater or am I about to get a migraine? Right. Because yep. the aura will start off like a pinpoint, like a floater, and then just keep growing. Uh -huh. So I have to, and the stress of like, oh no, it's happening, could make it happen. So I have to combat that. So I go to the eye doctor, and um, he does x-rays and just looks, make sure there's no, like, no problems. Yeah, like a retinal detachment. Because right. a lot of times floaters are actually a retinal detachment. Right. So you want to make sure. So he did this cool 3D um, x-ray and I got to look at my eyeballs on the screen. But and it was all going great. <laughs> and um, he said, is there anything else? And he said, well, dog, I'll tell you, I, you know, I'm going through this thing, this Lyme, possible Lyme thing and, and these other issues and I told him the other issues and I said one thing that I've developed is this intense sensitivity of my eyes to light mm, where if I oh light sensitivity yeah that's a big one so like my I keep my cell phone all the way down mm -hmm. my computer screen is almost all the way down and it was never like that mm -hmm. and I so I gave him those examples and I said and also when I'm driving um, at night I could see fine but I notice that I'm way, way more sensitive to cars, oncoming traffic. Oncoming traffic. Like yeah. And I, I said to him, yeah. before he got a chance to say it, I said, it's not these new kind of headlights. It's all headlights. Right, it's not, it's not that they're right. halogen. Yeah. It's, it's because, not, right. yeah. It's all headlights. And he turned or whatever to me, it is. Xenon gas or whatever, yeah. Right. And he said, turned to me, and I thought he was kidding, and I started to laugh. And then I realized he's serious. He goes, well, just don't look at them. You're like, but that is not what I'm telling you. Let's find out right. why things are different. This is not how things used to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just don't, just look, don't look at the oncoming traffic. Thanks, Doc. Well, with my sore ankles, I just won't walk anymore either. How's that right. for a solution? Yeah. Yeah. So I have to laugh about that one, but yeah. yeah you have absolutely no interest in the human condition. What yeah. are you doing? Yeah. Why are you here? Yeah. So yeah. that was another like thing that I kind of... And it's dissipated a little bit. And I could notice mainly because like 
I can make the laptop or the phone brighter. I even dimmed my own television. I, I like all of it. It's so funny that you're saying this because you know they do. They ask you, are you light sensitive? And I have gone through the same thing where I as well have to keep my my uh, brightness down on my phone, on my laptop. Same thing. And I, you know, just hearing you talk about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I do that. But you get so used to doing things different and weirdly adapting to your environment that you forget that it's an actual thing you're experiencing that isn't normal. Right. You know, that, yeah. that's the other weird thing about illnesses like this is the abnormal becomes so normal. You forget. Yeah. You forget it's a symptom of something you didn't have before. You just, you just get used to it. And yes. That's also what happened with the tinnitus that I had is it was maddening. And worrisome for about two weeks. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, it's crazy making. Yeah. That's crazy making, truly. And um, eventually, like, I went to the, you know, the throat doctor and I got the hearing test. And um, I was given some, some, I didn't want to take medicine for it. Because the guy who gave me the hearing test was like, you could take medicine for it, but you probably won't do much. What, do you, what even medicine can I give you for there's that? Like, there's I know a, there's different um, uh, nutritional supplements that do help. Right, and that's what I ended up doing. Okay, yeah. But there's, I don't know there's a thing, oh, what was it? It was a real goofy-ass name, too, that he recommended to me. It was like, I think it was literally called, like, Tonight Stop. Mm-hmm. And it may have been an over-the-counter, but, like, the way he framed it for me it sounded like you, he's like, you probably, like, you could take it. Yeah. But I don't know if it's going to do anything. Like, yeah. it may not, well, not only may not do anything, but he's just right out said to me, he says, the side effects may not even be worth, like, you might get oh. nauseous from it. Uh. You probably shouldn't even. Yeah. So then I said to him, okay, what can I do dietarily? Are there things I could avoid? Are there things I could eat? And he told me that the vitamin B's are very good for. Yeah. Because basically the way he explained it was, you know, imagine a wire with no rubber on it, mm-hmm. just hitting, and that's what's, you know, causing it. You know, these, wow. ner- these little nerves that are the size of hairs, basically, yeah. with the, in the inner ear, that do have protective coating. That protective coating was either eaten away at or just not being refurbished the hmm. way it should have been. Interesting. And... Now those kind hairs, of like how it'll eat away cartilage. It sounds yeah. like it'll eat away whatever, whatever right. that is. It's really it, interesting. It was just in the, my my left ear, and um, I do musical things. I listen to music. I play with my buddies every once in a while, but never in my life was anything like in my left ear. I was never blasted in the left right. ear. Right. I've been blasted in the right ear. Yeah, but fine. not the left. Right, but never the left. Like, this is the good ear. Right. <laughs> and um, now that I'm used to it and I manage it, it, at this point, it's coming and going. I do the dietary stuff. Yeah. And I've gotten it And better, it's changed. And it has changed for the better. Now, it's, I would say, 30% of the time, it's there. Mm-hmm. And um, if I'm exposed to a loud noise, it'll come back. Mm. And then it will dissipate again. But for a while there, you know, it is, you know, like sleep. Mm-hmm. I would leave um, the TV on, not because it would drown out the ringing, yeah. but so that I would pay attention to it. So that I, you weren't hearing the beep. Right. I've read a story about Marilyn Manson, who also has the ringing mm-hmm. in his ears, and he goes to sleep with, like, the TV very loud. It was like a girlfriend that was living with him. I was like, 
complaining about mm. how hard it was to live with him because when they go to bed, they have to have the TV blaring because to right so he could regulate his ringing ears. But that's yeah, and I, I, that does not sound like a good solution. Yeah, well, it's it's and like for me, like I would put on like Netflix or something, something that would continuously play, mm-hmm. so that I could lay there and you know be comfy in bed and be ready for sleep, but I could pay attention to the show. Right. And it would distract me because during the day. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. It but would distract it's me. Awful. Right. <laughs> during the day, like daily life would distract me from it when it was constant. Yeah. But at night, when everything else is quiet, um, there w- it was just there, and it was even louder because mm-hmm. now there's nothing else to compete with it. Well, you know, it's funny that you were talking about the B vitamins because I don't know um, if anyone's tested you, uh, done any kind of genetic testing. There's this testing called GenoMind that I actually mm-hmm. had done. That in, I sent it to like five of my doctors. They never, I don't know, maybe they didn't look at it. Um, it's good for uh, to find out... Uh, different medications if uh, it's good for your genetic profile or not but one of the things they test for on that which is important for a lot of people is called the MTHFR gene mutation okay. and if you are if you have it it means oh wait you are not a methylator and so yes yeah, so you have to take methylated B vitamins so like let's say those B vitamins didn't work for you but you didn't know you had the gene mutation which okay. just meant you needed a methylated version gotcha. form okay. of your B vitamin. So they make like a methylfolate, um, uh, a methylated B12, right? So, uh, but for people who do have this gene mutation and, uh, you know, so if you replace that with a methylated B, mm-hmm. um, it's like putting a little puzzle piece into the brain. That's how they explained it to me. Because they said, did you know you had this gene mutation? I said, no. And, you know, I have anxiety, depression, pain. And they... Right. Um, migraines you know they said this could be why we need to make sure that if we give this to you it doesn't help remedy some of your problems and mm-hmm. that's why you know you really have to look at everything yeah. um but it, it did not help my problems but i have to assume not having the right b inside of me was not helping me either so right. now i make sure to supplement with a methylated uh, uh with, with methylfolate and, and methylated b12 but uh, for those people, it is like a missing link. And sometimes it can mm. pop people right out of depression. It, it stops them from having migraines. Um, I wonder if it's like, you know, probably also yeah. ringing in the ears, you mm. know. So if you are a person who thought, oh, B vitamins don't help me, it could be it's because you have, you know, an MTHFR gene mutation and you mm. need a methylated version of right. B, which is, you know, important. But again, doc, most doctors do not tell you that. That doctor wasn't going to probably tell you. If this one didn't work for you, maybe you need a methylated version. Right. And, and I'll go one step further. And I've gotten into the habit of every doctor I speak to about anything. Mm-hmm. I always ask, what dietarily can I do? Yeah. And well, but most of them don't have a friggin' clue. Most of them. <laughs> or they're just taken by surprise. Yeah, that um, you would even ask. That I would even have that ask such a thing. Yeah. You know, and the rheumatologist I was dealing with who is very good, I just feel like his personality and my personality clash right away. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty easy going, I give it, you know, I get along. Yeah. But when he hit me with that, you have tattoos. We gotta give you all these unnecessary yeah. Kind of like when my doctor said you're ovary that can't cause you pain. Right. It was like at the same time, and you're like, you could be the best doctor in the world. Right. You just ruined it for me. Yeah, <laughs> you, you need to go off on the right foot here. Yeah. Um, but he was one who 
when I first went to him, he said, well, you, you know, I'm going to give you all this medicine. Punk. Yeah. And he gave me, you know, like a stack of um, prescriptions the size of like a Harry Potter book. And I said, okay, that's all well and good. Yeah. Thinking to myself, I'm going to, I'm not going to hand in all of these. Yes. I'm like, what can I yeah, do? How can I possibly afford all of these from right. another right. thing? And what and, are the side effects of each one? And like, I've been super lucky with finding like the good primary care doctor in Roma Scavenge. I've been super lucky because he hooked me up with a pharmacy that he works directly with. Mm. Um, like a local pharmacy. Yeah. That's so nice. Yeah. It's not a CVS. It's not, none of those. Yeah. And, and that's so you know, nice when they treat you like a person too. Right. Yeah. yeah. And when he, like he, when he framed it to me, you know, he said, family owned, they're good people, they're going to take care of you. Yeah. So it's right down the road from him, which like, so I can see him and then go there. Um, and they've like helped me out. Cause again, in the beginning I had no insurance. And so whatever the other doctors were throwing at me, you know, I was doing Walmart pharmacy basically was the yeah. cheapest alternative yeah. for me but at the they time. Could get, they, no one's caring there. No. no one's like, Albert, how are you doing? Did any of these right. medicines help you? And <laughs> if you want consultation, like they're, what, like, and really... Wait in line and have the snarky person come over to you to answer your question. Right. <laughs> you either get like this snarky Walmart pharmacist <laughs> or in my Walmart, you know, it's the, the, the old lady who's like 82 years old Who's over it? She's just giving people yeah, medicine I, I, and doesn't right. and doesn't want to. There's no it. personal. Right. Yeah. And really, I, I'm not even blaming her. No, it, no, it's, it's set up it's, this way. Right. Yeah, you exactly. Know, it's not her fault. Right. It's just there's no reason for her to be any different. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's just it's just the job for her. Yeah. And who also knows how many just awful humans she's bombarded. Totally. With. Yeah, it's a domino <laughs> effect, right? Yeah. I mean, that is how it happened. One person. Right. And it just sets off a whole chain of events across, right? You know, exactly. And then no one's in a good mood, <laughs> right? It's just grumpy, sick people yeah. just walking around. It's really hard to rise above once you've, you know, once someone shit on you for the day. Right. You, you tend right. to everyone starts shitting after that, right. on everyone else. So no, it's just the way it is. What are some dietary things that you've developed that help you? Well, when I had um, a brain, the brain evaluation last November in Dallas, Texas at the Psychoneuroplasticity Center, it's a very long word, hard to say, um, they did look at, well, the one thing they didn't do was look at me from an infectious disease perspective. They didn't, you know, check to see if I had brucelliosis from working on a pig farm, which is common in, you know, even goats, whatever. You know, if you've been to a petting zoo, you could be sick. Uh, but, um, you know, they didn't check for Lyme or mm-hmm. any of the, what they call co-infections, right. um, which I just call infections. Stop making people right. think that just because you have Lyme, the only way you could have these other things is because you have Lyme. Not true, not true. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did not check out any of those things. I wish they had. But what they did check out was they ran a complete uh, hormonal panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ran, um, an, uh, it's called Omega Quant, which checks to see if you have, uh, like, essential fatty acids, omegas, you know, enough of them in your body because those really, um, help, I guess, regulate yourself. Um, and they also checked, uh, you know, did a whole nutritional, uh, panel as well. And, um, so for me, supplementation and whatnot is, um, you know, taking a very high quality probiotic. Um, also when I'm on my antibiotics, I'm on a prescription, uh, probiotic called Visobiome, um, which, is 450 billion 
per packet. Wow. Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah, it is. Uh, and then also, um, I do take the, the methyl folate and the methylated B12. Mm-hmm. Um, I take some herbs uh, that uh, help um, uh, help with the with Lyme. There's also something called biofilms. You know, you need to treat those because the biofilms can also make you sick, even though you have a die-off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all these things are very well documented. I mean, you can look at actual scientific research of these. It's not, it's not a theory. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I take that. Uh, doctor just gave me... Um, a new doctor I went to gave me... Hold on. Other important things I take. Glutathione. So important for liver function. That was the other thing that made me start taking was mm-hmm. uh, glutathione. So important. Um, detoxify, especially you know, with Lyme, you need to c- keep your uh, body healthy and detoxifying. Mm-hmm. So uh, glutathione is very important. Doctor recently just gave me something called SBI Protect, um, which is, it's an IgG. I don't know. It's an immunoglobulin, immunoglobulin uh, serum-derived bovine concentrate of some sort. That's mm. supposed to help people like me. And the other thing, though, um, I swear by, and a lot of people do, you can go on Amazon and read the reviews, um, is something called Lorisedin. It's a monolaurin supplement. It's actually a uh, derivative of coconut. Um, it really kind of like scrubs the inside of your body and kind of cleans it up. I don't know. I, I definitely feel different when I take it. I notice mm. physical things kind of resolve. So mm. I know it's good for me. And I know that I, that when I started my Lyme treatment, he told me to be on this for two months and then go off of it. I was off of it for like four months, but just recently I started to feel, I was like, oh, I'm kind of feeling that weird thing again. And so I started taking it again. So, I mean, it's hard to define. Uh, For some people though, with like, uh, I mean, people will say it helps with their herpes, with their, um, with their uh, uh, gut. It's good for the gut. Um, It helps any kind of viral load, I think. So that's, you know, bacterial. Um, Yeah, it helps a lot of things. I mean, I don't know. But it says, this is what it says, monolaurum may help promote a strong immune defense, uh, support a healthy balance of gut bacteria, and maintain healthy levels of yeast, which all of those are very important. You know, if you have a yeast overload, you need to be treating the yeast, because that can also make you very sick, you know? Yeah. So, all those things. We have to look at all those things. (laughs) No, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. Oh, you know, tick testing. A lot of people will go get tick testing. So here's what the actual protocol is per Dr. Stephen Phillips and Dana Parrish, who've been working together, writing a book. Okay. And I'm fortunate enough to, to be able to speak with either of them. But um, I'm like, I had a friend who got bit by a tick. Mm-hmm. I said, and he was getting ready to have surgery. I was totally freaked out. I said, mm-hmm. should they have sent that tech tick in for testing? Because they didn't save it. And they said, no. What you do is, if you want to send the tick in, fine. Send it in. You can see what else the tick has. But by the time you get the tick testing, you should have already been treated. So for right. every tick bite, you should go on antibiotics for two weeks. That's okay. for every time you're bitten. And that should prevent a Lyme manifestation. But you okay. have to do it immediately. Right. If you want to get the tick tested, fine. If you're just curious to see if it has other, you know, because just like, you know, the poacin and the alpha-gal or whatever. You, if you mm. want to know if you should be looking out for any of those other things, fine. Do that. But do not wait to see a doctor until after you get that tick because tick testing is very unreliable. Yes, there's some more qualified labs, but, you know, maybe they're just looking at your tick and guessing. I mean, right. I, I don't know. I'm not in that lab. I don't know how accountable they are for your 
tick diagnosis, you know, I mean, really. Right. So I was like, don't be stupid. Just get the antibiotic. Go see your doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what he did. I, I pushed him a little and okay. his doctor was like, oh my God, you were bit by a tick. Yes, of course we need to treat you. Right. So I think it depends on what area you're in. I had another friend. He has a place in Maine. Okay. He got bit by a tick. He took the tick. He did send it in, but also at the same time, the doctor said, no, we need to put you on an antibiotic right away. So in places like Maine, they already do that. They didn't need me to right. nag them. Right. <laughs> but if you need nagged, you know where to come. I'll right. do that for you. <laughs> yeah, probably. So rampant up there that they're probably coming around exactly. and realizing we got to do something about this. Yeah. They seem to be pretty responsible with it, although I've heard other people say, oh no, Maine hasn't gotten a handle on it. From my experience and what I've seen from just anecdotal, you know, people I know yeah. and what they've told me, it seems like Maine is a little more with it than some other parts of the country. Yeah. You know? So, and I, if, if the same people I told you about where I was, uh, you know, had my collapsed lung and I was wheezing and I mm -hmm. was, uh, the, the, I said, said what, what was her tests what were her labs for this this and this and some of them they hadn't been done but they said oh the Bartonella test came back negative first of all there's only a lab only galaxy uh, diagnostics can run the Bartonella test so if you tell me you have a negative Bartonella test and it was lab core that's going to make me crazy and that's what she was telling me as my lung was collapsing and then I was like I can't I can't answer this all she mm -hmm. has to do is google and she would know about the Bartonella testing right. and um and so I gave up but these, uh, and so I had to take a break because like I said, I can't fix other people. I can't make people mm -hmm. go get tested. But what I don't like is watching someone die. And right. that's what I felt like I was doing uh, with that. And it's, you know, they're very sweet people. And, but all I could think is I am watching you die and I'm not being able to intervene or help. And so this is not my problem. I have to back away. But they had just contacted me again recently. And, um, and after all the information I've sent and stories and, uh, and, and research articles and scientific journals and all this information that I thought would help them, I said, just go down the rabbit hole and see what you come up with because this is how I feel. I have a feeling this is her problem and her sickness. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I just got an email saying, but um, I was just wondering uh, your opinion about this. I'm having uh, gastroparesis uh, and... You know, do you really think I could have Lyme? I don't remember ever being bit. And I almost burst into flames. Because, <laughs> like, most people do not remember being bit. Right. Lots of times there is no, no awareness either. Because you could be sick way later. Your immune system could have been fine. You could have been handling that Lyme for years. Right. And then all of a sudden your immune system couldn't handle it. Whether that was a car accident, a surgery. Uh, someone told me they got sick it activated their Lyme after Botox um, because, you know, it's a neurotoxin. Right. Like, I'm a big fan of Botox. I don't want <laughs> to spread any uh, rumors about Botox. Right. Keep Botoxing people. But um, I am just say, you know, so people can be, their immune system can react from a variety of ways, right? So you could be well one day and not the next. And you're not right. going to remember that bite because it could have happened, you know, years yeah. ago. So, right. you know, I don't know. So now is your Instagram page, um, and we can, if it is, we can snap this, mm -hmm. but um, is it public or do you have it as a No, it's thing? public. The only time I ever take a private is I'm going to be away from it um, because uh, you, you get those weird spam things, um, you know, where people start spamming your comments oh, of yeah. like things they're selling. So if I'm yeah. away from my Instagram account, I will set it to private, but yes, it's public. Okay. So 
um, if people wanted to see, because you post, you have a lot of information on there that's good information. Mm -hmm. So could you just tell me your handle? Yep, it's uh, life. Um, it's at life with Lyme and Ellers Danlos, and that is E H L E R S D A N L O S. Okay. And Lyme L Y M E. Okay. Life L I F E. So I did it all backwards. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm gonna be post like. With, you know, if it's cool with you, I'm going to put your handle yeah. within these posts. Mm -hmm. This way, as we're talking about it, people hear you say it, they can find it yeah. and, and, and check it out. Yeah. I, you know, I've thumbed through your page just even feeling well. <laughs> just, to, just to know what's going on. Yeah. The whole thing, just in case, is to build, build the knowledge. Well, yeah, I don't want my page to be about fear. It's more about awareness. I mean, look, there's so many weird things. Like, I was just reading about, like, silica, uh, 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 I guess, poisoning, toxicity. I don't know. Uh, people who work with marble countertops and whatnot, getting this, you know, silica disease in their lungs and, like, need lung transplants, you know. So my page is a lot of that kind of stuff, too. Mm -hmm. You know, things that are happening out there that maybe you didn't know about. It could be affecting your health or someone you know, or maybe you could prevent something by happening by doing something stupid with a kitchen counter. I don't know. Right. <laughs> but that's mostly what it is. I like it to be pretty easy to digest, um, but also very um, um, scientifically supported. I don't like to post anything that hasn't been vetted by real science right. because that's how misinformation gets out there, and that's kind of how this whole Lyme thing went awry. Right. Uh, great movies about that are Under Our Skin and Emergence. It's like part one and part two. Really interesting information about Lyme disease, Lyme manifestation, and how the Lyme thing kind of went out of control. Right. Um, are those documentaries? Yes, that's a documentary. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really, everything I post is real. I, I'm, I'm not into opinion i have my own opinions i'll, I'll be the opinion person right. but i like to post facts gotcha. real science-based facts right you now not i like it to come from a university preferably you know with doctors who are actually doctors right. <laughs> gotcha yeah yeah that's probably the best way to do it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well there's just too much too much misinformation and, and and it gets really that part gets frightening when you have so much of that because so much information is fear-based because that's what gets the clicks, but that's not actually helpful to anyone. Right. I understand. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. right, well, I guess we're going to wrap it up now. Okay. But I'm really, I first of all appreciate you going through all this, talking about it for the benefit of other people. Um, all the, you know, the ins and outs and the intimacies of it. Yeah. Um, not everybody wants to be totally forthright with. So I appreciate you having me here and having that conversation and doing the show. Like, this is going to just be really good for anybody who listens to it, I feel. I hope so. I mean, look, we all know some chronic illness is huge. I mean, it's like every person's got like a hypothyroidism or a something and why, like, yeah. you know, and, and lots of times there's a bacterial reason. We have to start looking at that. You know, it's just, but yes, chronic illness is rampant. Why? I mean, almost everyone I know has some kind of pain problem. Nothing, it's not really identified. Oh, it's rheumatoid arthritis, but they don't ever test positive for, you know, a rheumatoid right. factor. And uh, not to interrupt you, yeah. but the first, one of the first things I learned is that a raised rheumatoid factor could be a symptom of Lyme. Can be. A, if yes. it, especially, because um, that's what happened to me, 
it was only slightly raised. Mm -hmm. It wasn't crazy. Mm -hmm. It was only slightly Right, raised. so it gives them a, like, maybe. So it's like, oh, maybe. And then, you know, this one particular doctor just rode that horse right out of the stable. Yeah. So it's, oh, okay, it's, it's road toward. But it was only slightly risen, and I wasn't getting, like, heat in the joints or anything. Yeah, you weren't swelling. You weren't, or, yeah. None of that. Yeah. But even all. with Lyme, you can swell just right. like you would RA. Right. And then for me, it turned out that that little bit of a raise was the Lyme doing that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, no, it's very true. And, you know, they'll, uh, my, my doctor talks about it, and I, I've, I've read research on it, and um, that they love to prescribe the immunosuppressive drugs, even though they're really not sure what's going on with you. And the stuff I've read and talked to the doctor about and whatnot, the thing is they say that the immunosuppressive drugs, why are you putting like, why are you putting me on it if you don't right. actually know why? Right. And the other thing is your body does not attack itself without a reason. So why is it attacking? Mm -hmm. Is there a bacteria there? What is going on? Um, and that's what you need to investigate. I don't, you know, I haven't done enough research on that. I just know it uh, in communication with experts. But I can tell you if I had a diagnosis and that they said I should take immunosuppressive drugs, I would definitely be researching why am I taking this and is there a bacterial cause? Mm -hmm. I mean, just hands down. Because once you start with that, it's you're just kind of screwing up your whole body. You really, you really need to go into it eyes wide open and not just, well, my doctor's nice. This is what he said. That's, right. that's not a good enough reason. Yeah. You know, you're diagnosed MS, lupus, RA, you know, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. You have someone like Christopher, Chris Christopherson, who was told for like 30 years he had fibromyalgia and Alzheimer's. You know what he didn't have? Fibromyalgia <laughs> or Alzheimer's. It was Lyme the whole time. Once they treated him for Lyme, he was able to go back on tour. He's not as in much pain. But some of that neurological damage was permanent. Right. Right? Because his brain was not functioning. And, you know, but he's, you know, he's somewhat better now. So, but he could have saved himself 30 years of pain of fibromyalgia and a later diagnosis of Alzheimer's. It's not what it was. I mean, it's horrifying what we've done to people just because, yeah. you know, some doctor has decided... Well, we're not looking at anything else. So I have decided this is what it is. Hmm. That's scary. So we'll have to have you back on. And we'll do like a check-in. <laughs> you have too much to say, Ella. <laughs> no, and then, no, it's not that at all. Because it's all, kidding. you know. I'm just kidding. It's, it's all good. <laughs> I'm kidding. But um, thank you again. It's yeah, no, I'm so glad. Look, if, I, if this helps one person, I'm so happy. And it's cool that it brought us back around. Totally. Look at us. Yeah, here we are again. It's been a few years. Yeah, illness has brought us back together. If anything good, there's a little sliver of goodness that came out. So yeah, thanks again. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you everybody for listening to another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. I want to thank Ella for coming on and just talking so in depth about both of her illnesses and hopefully folks out there will be helped by it by the time this podcast comes out you will be able to listen to it on apple podcasts the podcast app spotify soundcloud google play and youtube with video accompaniment if you'd like to help this podcast with a donation or other forms of support you can go on our new patreon account which is albert shivers artist there's information there on my personal artwork as well as the podcast. You can also see some more of my work and more behind the scenes work on the podcast 
on my Instagram handle at Albert Shivers. Also, you could check out our sound guy, Isaac Wilson, on Instagram at WhenInZam. Also, a reminder Ella Steinbeck's Instagram page is at Life with Lime and Ella Daniels. That will be also be in the description. This way you can get the right spelling or just copy and paste it and you'll be there. Thanks for listening again. Next time will be part two with Don Wilson, visual artist, In My Blood, part two. So check that out too. And check out all the previous episodes. They're all there just waiting to be heard. All right. Thanks again for listening. Catch you next time.